0: Hi, I'm actor and comedian Griffin Newman. And I'm film critic David Sims. Together, we host Blank Check, a movie podcast where week by week, we overanalyze directors' complete filmographies.
3: In each new series, we discuss filmmakers who experience early success and are issued a series of Blank Checks by Hollywood to make their own crazy passion projects.
0: Now, sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce, baby.
3: We're joined each week by incredible guests, including actors, writers, and directors. So you can follow Blank Check with Griffin and David on Spotify for new episodes every Sunday.
2: The year is 2003, and at Christmas, you tell the truth. So boy, are we about to, about the movie, Love Actually. and welcome to Unspooled.
3: Unspooled.
2: I'm Amy Nicholson.
3: And I'm Paul Shear, And this is the podcast where we're trying to find the 100 best movies. And when we do, we're going to blast them into space. No joke. We have talked to a NASA scientist about it. Um, here's the deal, people. We are in a different type of a month. We are not doing our normal miniseries, right? Amy, we are doing a little something different this month.
2: Yes, we are just treating ourselves, man. It's the holidays, so we are doing a mini-series that we're just going to call Stocking Stuffers as a way to shove together two Christmas movies we want to do and the beginning of a quadrology that will uh, climax over the break. It, let's just say We're going to do the first Matrix in honor of the new Matrix. Why? Because it's Christmas and because we can,
3: actually. That's right. And if we know anything about Christmas from the film that we're talking about today, which is Love Actually... Christmas is a time for honesty, it's a time for doing what you want to do, and it's a time for basically being a real son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> you know, Amy, I'm so excited to talk about Love Actually with you, but I also want to just tip our hat to the end of our musical series, and I have to say, last week we talked a lot about Little Shop of Horrors and the way that, that film was constructed. There was something really interesting there. We were talking about a cinematic film that also had very theatrical staging in moments, And I watched Annette again, which I highly recommend to everybody because I think it's one of the best movies of the year. And I watched it after I watched the Sparks Brothers documentary. And watching them back-to-back actually gave me a much better sense of that movie, which I already loved, but I loved it more. And I I couldn't help but see the similarities in Annette and Little Shop of Horrors. There is a, a tremendous amount of theatricality to that. You could see this as a staged production, but also... Uh, some really amazing ways that it's, you know, you could never see that on stage, you know, incredibly cinematic. So I just couldn't stop thinking about Little Shop of Horrors and watching Annette. I didn't know if you had seen any similarities between the two.
2: I really like Annette too. It's interesting. We're like starting to build into the awards conversation at the end of the year, the top tens of the year. I don't think Annette has been getting enough uh, praise. I think Annette came on really strong in the summer. And I actually was knocked out by Annette. I mean, it's the kind of movie that I I personally really love where they ask the audience to use 10% of their imagination to fill out the world even more. You know, they do things just a little bit stagey, you know, having shipwrecks that aren't trying to be like all CGI Roland Emmerich, you know, people at sea and here's what's going to happen. They ask you to participate in playing along and creating the whole world of this musical by making it a little bit stiff in corners, artificial in corners, playing so much that I just adored it. I love movies that ask me to play along with them, which I guess is why I love musicals, because that is the key of them. By the way, did you know that there is a musical connection to Love Actually? No. Oh, let me tell you this, because before Richard Curtis wrote Love Actually and everything else he wrote that got him to the point of making and writing and directing Love Actually he wrote songs for a little fake band called The Heebie Jeebies and you just have to hear this track this is called Meaningless Songs in Very High Voices Richard Curtis has given the world a lot, and I want to say that now before we talk about Love
3: Actually. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay, well, you know what, Amy? We are kind of keeping a musical going because music plays a very big part in Love Actually, and it plays a very big part in the holiday season. And you know what? I guess I feel it in my fingers and I feel it in my toes. I think Unspooled is all around me. Let's unspool it and see how it goes. You should really get that checked out. The year is 2003. Armed undercover sky marshals begin flying on aircraft to prevent terrorist attacks following 9-11. The new U.S. Department of Homeland Security officially begins operations. Remember that? Code red, code blue, code yellow. The U.S. and the U.K. start their shock and awe campaign with massive airstrikes on military targets in Baghdad before the invasion of Iraq by land forces. To protest France's stand on Iraq, some Americans are buying freedom fries with their burgers. They're fucking idiots. Apple launches iTunes and sells 10 million songs within four months of launch, and that's before they made you mandatorily download that U2 album. The popular films of the year include Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, Finding Nemo, Matrix Reloaded, and today's film, Love Actually, Amy. It's a daunting task, but who's in it, what's it about, and who made it, and what was on the charts?
2: Oh, my God. Okay, here we go. Love actually is written and directed By Richard Curtis. Richard Curtis, in addition to writing songs for the Heebie Jeebies, was already a major figure in British comedy and British romance and British romantic comedy at the time that he made this film. He was already a commander of the British Empire because he had written Black Adder. He wrote Four Weddings and a Funeral, which set a record for being the highest grossing British film of all time. Then he wrote Notting Hill, which set the next record for the top grossing British film of all time. Then he did Bridget Jones, the Bridget Jones sequel he recently did yesterday. And he finally started directing films with this one, Love Actually, a movie that was so hyped up. Everybody was at the premiere because every actor that British people love was in this movie. Uh, plot summary. Jesus Christ. Here we go. All right. There's like nine romances. Hugh Grant is the prime minister who's romancing his underling, played by Mar- Martin Mikushin. Liam Neeson is a grieving widow trying to help his stepson find love while he hopes to find his own Claudia Schiffer. Laura Linney has a crush on a guy in her office. Bill Nighy plays like this rock and roll sleazy drug-addled star trying to get his song to number one on the charts. Colin Firth is a guy whose girlfriend cheats on him, so he falls in love with his Portuguese maid. Emma Thompson is married to Alan Rickman, but he is having an affair with his secretary. Uh, Martin Freeman and Joanna Page are two stunt doubles doing a porn in a movie who are humping each other. And Keira Knightley has just married Chiwetel Ejiofor, and yet his best friend Andrew Lincoln has a crush on her. Did I cover everybody?
3: Because that is a lot. There's a couple more characters here. You didn't mention, of course, the great Rowan Atkinson, who was written to be an angel, but we'll get into that. Uh, but yes, we're gonna break down this movie and anything you missed, we will we will get into
2: now I should say up at the top, part of why it's really important that we do this movie is because in 2016 it beat out it's a wonderful life as Britain's favorite Christmas movie. And as it's a wonderful life is one of our favorite Christmas movies, and I think the best Christmas m- movie that the AFI had on its list so far. Yeah, you win, love. Actually, you have demanded the right to come on this show to get serious consideration. Uh, This is a film that Richard Curtis said, you know, he was inspired by Nashville. He said, this movie is my Pulp Fiction. This is a movie that aspired to be one of the greats and has been remade more times than Nashville and Pulp Fiction put together. There's versions of Love Actually in Dutch. It's called Love is All. In Hindi, it's called Salute to Love. In Polish, it's called Letters to Santa. In Japanese, it's called It All Began When I Met You. In Russian, where it is called New Year's Trees. It is an everything movie. Take a
1: listen. So if, you, if you've if you got a framed picture like, for instance, this one of blue, mm-hmm. you, you can just write on it. A uh, lot of kids watching Billy. Oh, yeah. Hiya, kids. Here's an important message from your Uncle Bill. Don't buy drugs. Become a pop star and they give you them for free.
0: And I do believe uh, it's a commercial break.
2: Love actually came out on November 3rd, 2003. As Paul said, it was a pivotal time because this movie talks about love in the era of 9-11. Um, on the charts that time, when you take that and rewind it back, is a singer who was just becoming her own brand, actually. She was on the charts with her second song to ever hit number two, It is Beyonce and Baby Boy, a song about your fantastical dream romance. (laughs) you go back and watch this video, Paul, it makes me feel old to see
3: Beyonce so young. You know, I got to say, I think Sean Paul looks even better. <laughs> All right, so Amy, before we start, let's just check in with each other about where we are at with this film. Like, what is our journey with it? Because unlike a lot of films we've done on the show, this movie is incredibly popular. We're in the middle of the holiday season and... It's hard to escape this movie. I think I've seen this movie not once, not twice, but probably upwards of 10 times. At one point... that Wait, that's a lot of times, Paul. I know. You know, at one point, I actually sat down with a notebook and like mapped out the movie because I was so interested in how you would do a giant ensemble like this. I really wanted to understand how many scenes were in it and how many times they cut back and forth, and I had all these like little charts, and I wanted to try to find that for today, but I couldn't find it, and it doesn't mean anything. But it is a masterful film in the sense that it is this gigantic ensemble with amazing actors, and it's really deftly directed. I have opinions about it, but as far as pacing is concerned, the movie really flows in a way where I think hides a lot of its flaws.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, Richard Curtis has psychoanalyzed his own film and said he thinks that part of the reason why it's so successful is because, and this is his quote, it's got so many plots that people can't remember what's going to happen next. So it's satisfying to rewatch, not like a thriller where you know who's about to get killed. I would Hmm. agree with that because I feel like love actually comes on and it moves so fast that it is incredibly easy to just watch, to just put on, to sink into. And I would say despite it all. It is a great movie in one rubric, absolutely. Because if you're going to say, hey, do you want to put on a movie with a bunch of your friends where you feel like it's okay if you hang out and also yell at the screen and bond together? This is a perfect movie for that. This is the dream movie to put on when you don't want to like totally sink in and watch it, but you want to be around people and you want to have a shared experience. Watching this movie is like entering a fugue state where you disappear back into the mindset of 2003.
3: I I mean- This is the way I feel about a lot of movies that I've seen recently – uh, I, I put The Last Jedi in this category where it's uh, I call it an Indian restaurant movie, which is every time you go to like uh, like a fun local Indian restaurant, they're playing like these great Bollywood films. And occasionally during dinner, you look up, and you're like, whoa, that looks cool. And then you go back to eating and you're talking. Oh, and everyone watches the screen for a second. You go back and it's visually cool and you like those people and you're kind of engaged. That's like I mean, that in the highest compliment. It's just sort of a oh, yeah, we're here. We're in. We're out. It's not a movie to be. I think uh, sliced and diced or analyzed uh, intently in a way because it's it's sort of I think it is supposed to be flash and magic and fun and in in many ways a a perfect encapsulation of what the holiday season is you know in this like hey it's it's happening so quick and now it's over now oh it's a new year okay oh what what just happened like you just kind of caught in in the haze of a Christmas morning.
2: Although I would say this is a movie in fact now to be like psychoanalyzed incredibly deeply. I would like to psychoanalyze it just beginning with the title. I mean, Love Actually. Love Actually. Like, what does this title mean to you? Does it mean that Richard Curtis is saying this is actually what love is? Because I always get thrown by this title. And I was listening really closely when you hear it for the first time. You Mm -hmm. hear it for the first time when Hugh Grant at the beginning is talking about, you know, the greed and misery in the world, alluding to 9-11 And he says the title like this.
4: General opinions starting to make out that we live in a world of hatred and greed. But I don't see that. Seems to me that love is everywhere. Often it's not particularly dignified or newsworthy, but it's always there. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, old friends. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge they were all messages of love. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that love actually is all around.
2: Okay. The way that he says it, he says, love actually is all around. He emphasizes a, a different word. And I find that kind of weird. Like I feel like he should be saying love actually is all around or love actually is all around. But he says love actually is all around. And I don't know why, but this really screws with my head.
3: I don't it, understand what you think he's pushing by emphasizing is.
2: He's emphasizing the existence of love, not w- what love is. Do you know what I mean? No,
3: but I the, think... When you chop I it think to love he's actually, arguing. you're saying
2: this is what love
3: is. No, but you see, saying, I think we're catching love him.
2: actually is here. And I think that that's something different.
3: You see, I think he's in the middle of an argument. He's like, no, no, no. Love actually is... All around. Someone said love. Someone said to him, love isn't around. And we're just hearing his side is no, it is around.
2: Okay. But say, no, this is what I'm getting at. This is what I'm getting at. Is this title, you know, arguing with somebody who says love isn't like love doesn't exist. Or is it saying, I think love is like this. Is it about the definition of love or the existence of love?
3: This is right. This movie is incredibly flawed. I'm going to say a couple things here, too. And just. Just so everyone knows, did I cry at the end of this movie after I've seen it 10 times and analyzed it? Yeah, I what? fucking cried three times during this movie. So when? I, oh, I'll tell you all about it. I'll break it down. I mean, throughout. And then do I get sucked into romance and rom-coms? Yeah, I love it. So I don't want anyone to think I'm a Grinch here. But let's break this down because this is an argument to 9 culture in the craziest way. Like the opening line where he is talking about on 9-11, people didn't call and out of revenge or hatred. They called with love. Yeah, no shit, motherfucker. Those people were dying. Of course, they're calling their loved ones, not their enemies. Who is dying and calling their enemies? Like, It's, it's a flawed argument to start with, right? And I think the idea is we're in a state of war, right? We have Homeland Security. We have bombings. We're bombing other countries. We're living in a state of fear. And Hugh Grant is saying, you know what? We're in war, but we actually are surrounded by love. And then the entire movie is the most fucked up love, the most destructive, uh, toxic love. It's it's not a feel-good movie. This is a fuck you movie on every level. But it's like in, it's almost like saying... Like, there's no crime. And then all you do is just show people get mugged the entire time. But it's like, there's something so weird. It's like the love that they're showing is bad for the most part, like 90% of it. I wrote it down. There's like two or three loves in this love, actually, that are healthy. And one is a medium, (laughs)
2: I'm impressed you found that many loves in this movie that are healthy. I mean, but first, like, let's just even talk about that opening. Cause he's doing this over documentary footage of like real life people hugging is it real? at an airport. It is real. Or is it real.
3: shot that way? Okay. It is
2: real. It is real. It is real. What they did is they went to Heathrow with hidden cameras. And so they like recorded people with hidden cameras. And then like when they found people that they thought looked good for the clip, they walked up and they got their permission to use it. Now I have to say, like. They, there's what, like two minutes of hugging in this movie and then like another minute of hugging at the end? It took them apparently a whole week of being at Heathrow to sure. get that footage, which makes me think... Because airports
3: fucking suck in the yeah. middle of 2001. Like, right after 9-11, you think everyone's walking through the, the airport with their assholes look so tight because they think they're going to die. That's international flights. Like, airports were not a chill place after 9-11. Airports were like, take off your shoes, your socks, your jacket, your go-through-your-bag. Like, that was not a fun time. And the way that they make... The airport at the end, we'll get into the airport at the end. But yeah, of course it took two weeks. Of course. You weren't even allowed in there.
2: Yeah. Well, it took a whole week. It took a whole week. And I think the fact that it took a week to get like 10 hugs kind of says from the beginning that this movie is taking place in an alternate reality. Also, I would like to say that the people that are getting hugged in the opening of this, the kind of love that you see is a lot of like mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, types of love that aren't really represented in love, actually. Love actually is about, like, a specific kind of love. Love actually is about, I have a crush on you, and I don't know how to say it.
3: That's what love actually is. Love actually is even worse than that. It's like, I have a crush on you, and I don't even understand you or had a conversation with you. And that is the love that is being forwarded throughout this whole movie. And I'm not trying to have a woke perspective on it, but this is simply, like... This is, I mean, I know it's been played to death. Stalker level love.
2: You're right. Okay. Who falls into that category? Mark, who is in love with his friend Peter's wife, Kira Knightley, who, by the way, is 18 in this movie.
3: Wow. Uh, And tucks her ears into a cap. Never saw that before. Didn't know. Is that a thing that women do? Do they tuck their ears into caps? I guess if they're cold. And from what we understand in the movie, they've never spoken. Like... They don't speak. She says, you never talk to me, but yet he is in love with her. Okay. And that continues with Colin Firth, who is cheated on and then moves to a country house to write a, you know, a book on loose leaf and, uh, and falls in love with a woman that he can't speak to. And they, what? Fall in love, but they don't, they don't even do gestures to understand. They fall in love without speaking. All right. Who'd yeah, they, they
2: talk at each other, but you actually never even see them communicate in kind of mime if or you anything took like that. Out yeah.
3: the, if you took out the subtitles, it would not be romantic. It wasn't a, it wasn't even a meat cute. The only thing that makes that relationship at all engaging is the dialogue and the way the dialogue volleys between the two of them in subtitles. Not yeah. not if you watch that and it was yeah, nothing.
2: Well, even with the subtitles, she just calls him fat and dumb.
3: Like, oh, well, this whole movie so, okay. is about fat all shame. Right. I mean, every all every right. character <laughs> is called fat and ev- like that's the other love is all a- love. Actually, and fat people are gross should be like the underlying of this, because <laughs> like there is this thing where everyone's being like ridiculed, like, oh, you're the princess of Dunkin Donuts. Oh, she's got big thighs. Oh, we call her fat. Like, I'm like, oh, Jesus my dad Christ. calls me plumpy. Ah! I'm like, God damn it. (laughs) In front Um, of the
2: prime minister. Okay. So that's another couple. Oh, you've got Laura Linney, who's in love with her coworker. They've been working together for seven years. He doesn't know that she has a brother. He doesn't know anything
3: about her. Because... They don't talk. They have not had any really, it's not even on a typical, like to me, a typical office flirtation is like, oh, we we get together, we joke around, like it's my, you know, my work wife, my work husband, my work partner, whatever it is. They don't, they seem to be ships that sail in the night. Like they, they don't, they just pass each other in the night. They don't, they don't have any connection at all besides unrequited love And not understanding who each other is.
2: Okay, and then you've got the little kid Sam, uh, played Mm -hmm. by Thomas Sangster, who's in love with a girl Joanna from school. Who, by the way, like has the exact same name as his dead mother. They're both named Joanna. This comes up. It is mentioned. It is mentioned right here.
0: General wisdom is that in the end, there isn't just one person for each of us. It was for Kate and Leah.
5: It was for you. There is for me. She's
1: the one. Fair enough. And her name's Joanna.
5: Yeah, I know. Same as mom. And then
2: it is somehow never brought up again that the kid might be dealing with something else. Because his mom has just died at the very beginning of the film. The very beginning of the film. And it does not come up again. Well, except that he's magically in love with a girl with the same name.
3: And guess what? He's never talked to (laughs) her. He has never spoken to this girl. Like, everything that Liam Neeson, uh, like, (laughs) tells him to do, never says, like, have you talked to her? He literally says, she doesn't know I exist. I'm in love with her. She's perfect. She's going back to America. You're talking, like like she's a little Mariah Carey. I want to get into, I want to like unpack her in a major way, but yes, another unrequited love. Um, Man, oh man. Um, All right. So then the other ones, these are the ones that I thought were a little bit more um, flexible, like some, not saying right, but flexible. I thought that Hugh Grant and Natalie, uh, and I know I'm mixing uh, character names and actor names, um, had, a, like a uh, a meat cute I felt like there was something, there was a little electricity there. I don't think it's all totally right, and considering the fact that he fires her because he's attracted to her, which I believe you could get sued for, uh, but that at least to me felt like there was some there there, like they had some... They had some connection, right, on some level. I'm not saying it's great, but at least they communicated. And that, to me, that's a win in this movie at this point.
2: <laughs> okay, fair enough. And then you've got Judy and John, who I would say are iffy. These are the, This is like the naked couple who are humping the whole time. No,
3: because... Judy and John are the, they are the lighthouse. Oh. They're the most love that we have.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, then that's terrible because, like, what they're doing is they're talking about like traffic and the weather. They're not actually having that's fine. No, 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 no. They're talking about traffic and the weather, and then a month later they are engaged. That is insane behavior.
3: Okay, they talk about
2: traffic, and then you get engaged. That's like me getting married to my mailman
3: like tomorrow. Okay, well, I know uh, my mailman better than
2: they know each other.
3: First of all, can we also just for a second? And I'm not trying to be like, well, what about this or what about that? But I'm gonna say that a couple times. What the fuck movie were they shooting? It's not a porn because it's looks way more uh, you know, like they're not doing lighting setups for a porn. So it's like, what kind of movie has that much hardcore fucking that they're working for a month? Like a month, like they're working nonstop in a hardcore fuck movie. And it's like it's it's graphic and to the point where I'm just like, they don't even, like, they don't want to make them stand-ins. They need them to be, like, simulating fucking all the time. It's like, that would have been a funny heightening. Like, the first time you see them, they're extras. Then they're stand-ins. Then they're fucking. But they're just fucking the whole time. And you know the whole reason why there's so much nudity in this movie uh, is because... Uh, this is so terrible, but I think it speaks to Richard Curtis. He said that, um, the universal said, you got to take out all this nudity, uh, because you're going to like lose like $50 million. And he's like, no, because when I was a teenager, I only went to movies to see nudity. So I'm keeping it in. Cause I want to stay true to my younger self. So, <laughs> so fucked up. The nudity in this movie is so, is so out of place that I feel uncomfortable, but I like that relationship. I like I like Martin Freeman uh, in this, uh, and I like the two of them. And I hear what you are saying. We don't. It's like the Bachelor level of love, where it's like two people are sitting down and they're talking about are we in love, but they're not actually talking about anything. It's like on the Bachelor, they just sit around talking about are you here for the right reasons. Well, they don't, there is nothing there. But I do feel like in all that fucking, they probably had deeper conversations.
2: But if so, this movie doesn't think they're important it doesn't think it's important to see people like connect. It's no, like, cause it's
3: funnier to it, it, it have him like, has, like ramming her from joke. behind yeah, talking it, about. Yeah. Yeah. It the just one joke it. over but and it over. It's just
2: like the one joke. i actually like your idea about having the escalation. I think that because yeah. they are like supposed it, to be fake dancing, fake kissing.
3: Yeah. It would have been funny. It would have actually led to something instead of just, just sex, sex, sex. And it's also like, not that I'm okay. Not that I know that much about how to light, uh, you know, <laughs> like sex scenes. But I will say like uh please fondle the breast for the lighting. It's like what? What? Like exactly, wait.
2: please and please I, hump for the lighting. No, you hell, need to be thrusting for the lighting for the all lighting.
3: All I know, all I know is that on movie sets and even before like the last couple of years, like nudity is even with stand-ins, it's something that is like very protected. In this movie they're just treating them like cattle like they are like they are bodies they are not like like there's no they're like they, they, why do they have to be naked why is he fully clothed and why is she naked I mean that's another thing too but okay but that's my favorite love story yeah. in this that's wow. that to that's, me at that's least that's is true. that that is I mean if and if we're saying that's the best all right let's uh, <laughs> well, uh well, right. we're leaving
2: out yeah. one but I do have a question, no, I have another, I have, question yes. which is like I wonder who the actor is that Martin Freeman was supposed to be like a stand-in for as well, because like usually in a movie, <laughs> From where, Martin like, Freeman. Yeah, when they're in a movie where there's like that much nudity, you think like, I don't know, the the actor would be a little bit like, I'm kind of buffer. I've been swole for this role. I've I've been like working out to be this naked, and then you have this guy be my body double. I think that's mm-hmm. a little weird, unless like <laughs> who else would they be casting in that part?
3: Lars Van Trier? Is it a Lars Van Trier movie?
2: (laughs) Maybe. I mean, I also The sets, I can't
3: make heads or tails of the sets of that movie either.
2: I mean, this makes me a little bit uncomfortable to say this out loud, but I Mm -hmm. do feel like when you look at pictures of Richard Curtis, it kind of looks like Martin Freeman of the future. Like Martin Freeman, if he could time travel, could be Richard Curtis. So I imagine that there's a little bit of wish fulfillment in casting a guy who looks like his younger self in this part.
3: So let me talk about the relationship that I think is probably the most problematic. But again, I'm going to say, while problematic, I at least understand it as love or attraction, which is Alan Rickman and his secretary.
2: Oh, my God. Thank you. I was going to say that, too, that of all the couples in this movie, they're sort of the most realistic.
3: Is that weird? No, it's, like, there is something there that's, like, a sexual energy. There's, like, that little moment of flirtation when he calls her outside to say, like, what she wanted for Christmas. I like, like, I know we're not supposed to want him to do that, and I don't really want him to do that, but I recognize, I recognize it. Like, I recognize, (laughs) like, oh, that's a flirtation, that's an interesting flirtation. But the problem with that relationship is, in my opinion, what's so wrong with with his wife because they also seem to have like a pretty good thing too they don't seem broken and I think that that's something interesting too and I wanted to break that down with you as well like I like showing Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson as being like love that has stood the test of time or has been like what is love that has been together for a decade where it doesn't have, love isn't always just about new love you know new love is boring because we all can tell what new love is but like long love is an interesting story to tell too
2: well yeah i mean they're like emma thompson and alan rickman are the only examples of old love in the movie and mm-hmm. it, so it's a little well, laura sad. linney
3: and her brother too
2: okay brother okay it's like I, about right. Love, I mean, if we're,
3: love, we're love. yeah, if we're yeah. talking about like romantic love. Yeah. Okay, I wanted to, her brother well, because, who
2: tries to like hit her in the face. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that yeah. scene. I. Yeah.
3: That scene is like.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: But there's but a like lot of problematic I, stuff.
2: Right, but like but when, when it makes Emma me laughs, that makes and me love. Alan Ringman, when they are the only old love, then this movie is basically saying old love cannot last when like hot secretary comes into the picture. Hot secretary, who I will say is so over the top like sitting around with oh her legs god. spread open in the that's not even comfortable looking
3: No she like, seems like she's like like she is trying to like almost like she was sent here to seduce him like Oh my like, god
2: yeah like the terminator that's what I was thinking yeah, She's like the terminator a of sex fucking. terminator yeah Yeah
3: <laughs> She really is I mean and it's like I at least get why she likes him, or I don't even really know. I mean, but I guess they work together, so there's, like, some connection and unrequited love, and again, we're not seeing the meat of any relationship. It is the bachelor of rom-coms. It's like we're not seeing really anything more than, like, the biggest stereotype of these characters. Can we talk about the other love that I think is good, which is... But really doesn't really pay off until the end. But Bill Nye and his manager.
2: Yes. I was terrified that you're going to say the guy who goes to America to get laid by girls who think British accents are hot.
3: Oh, I mean, I'm not even putting that in my love. Like that that doesn't even get in the love. That doesn't even get in the love. Like that is not even part of the discussion. I don't think because that is just like that's Jacob's ladder to me. That dude died on a plane crash. That dude was on a 9 plane. And that is a fantasy that he is having. Like, that is, that can't be anything but that. I mean, and by the way, they got, like, every, the hottest, like, Maxim cover girl models for that sequence. It's, it's so outlandish. It's so, like, <laughs> what's so crazy about it is, like, this movie is fueled by, like, every, male ego thing like oh my gosh I'll go to Minnesota I'll go to Milwaukee and I'll get laid by like it's there's no reality in this movie whatsoever and like why is that like why is his fantasy like so fucking bonkers like it's like you know it's so like that is
2: well okay there is truth in it I would say that a British accent makes a man 15% hotter like, I, okay, I, sure. I get the scene where they're sure. sitting around asking him to say straw.
3: Right. <laughs> what do you call that? Uh,
1: bottle. Bottle. <laughs> what about this? Uh, straw. 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 <laughs> what about this? Uh, table. Mm. Table. Oh, it's
2: the same. same. But yes, it is bonkers that they only have one bed to share between four girls and that they're too poor to, like, buy pajamas. But they at least have yeah. money to go out
3: and, like, be at the bar. Amy, I mean, that... Like it's also what you're describing there is
2: they live in a you are describing a
3: porn fantasy like that is a letter to penthouse like that is doing nobody any like great fine. But again, it's this movie is a male fantasy this house.
2: How yes. do you have a two-story house in? home? Well, they
3: have the bed. upper... They're probably like a mother-daughter and they rent the upper... Again, it is bonkers. <laughs> and I also feel like this guy doesn't come across smooth at all. Like, there is something to be said for... And again, I'm well, I'm not trying maybe- to rewrite it, but like a, a nebbishy more quiet like if martin freeman was like oh, i i just got broken up by my girlfriend i don't have anybody and then he goes to milwaukee and then like all these girls find him attractive and he like feels that that's exciting this guy is like wearing a shirt that says like i like the fuck and he's like i need to go and get I'm, i have a bag full of condoms like he's like just a walking dick and like 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 uh, personified and everyone's like like there's his personality is like ugly You know what I'm saying? Like, he's not charming at all, I don't think.
2: I mean, maybe he is part of the film's, I would say, deserved at this time, anti-Americanism. I mean, because basically what? You have like three different American characters in here. Laura Linney is fine. She's nice. The movie doesn't hate her, but she is also like the character who winds up totally alone and doesn't even manage to make it to like the airport scene at the very end it's just sort of like that guy didn't date you he left because like you had to go see your brother and now you're you don't even get a happy ending like she's the no, only they one come back. don't they airport. come
3: back on christmas like they they have like, a little moment on christmas yeah, eve right? he like
2: says merry christmas and then leaves her alone so mm. it doesn't go anywhere so like that american is punished and then like, there's these dumb American girls who will just sleep with anybody with an accent. Like there's actually, a, they were at the airport scene, Shannon Elizabeth and Denise Richards. And they like walked up to Hugh Grant and introduced themselves. And Shannon Elizabeth apparently said to Hugh Grant, I am so embarrassed that I'm dressed this way. I feel like a hooker. And Hugh Grant said, my
3: favorite. Oh, well, I uh, guess.
2: Charming, it's charming
3: humor. Maybe. Charming. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, charming. Boy, oh boy. Remember that? I mean, that was, I remember being such a huge Grant fan. I think that came out around nine months, which was a movie that I really liked when I saw it back then. And that was like, that was such a scandal. We have really, way to go us. Uh, We have really upgraded our scandals. I mean, that is nothing now. That is a, that's a blip on the radar. That wouldn't even make uh, like network news for a half a day now anymore. Picking up a sex worker. That wouldn't even rate anymore.
2: Man, I remember that happened, and then a few years later, I moved to LA and I drove by the intersection where it happened, and I felt a little bit of a thrill of glamour, like, Ooh, oh, I gotta see where LA that is. glamour happens here. It's it was by a donut shop at the time, okay. um, and then there is, of course, the ultra American Billy Bob Thornton as the President of America, who mm-hmm. shows up just to sexually harass uh, the the Prime Minister's secretary in like the fastest sexual harassment scene I've ever seen. It's like yeah. Hugh Grant is in the room with him. Hugh Grant leaves to get a manila folder and I counted it. It takes Billy Bob Thornton 20 seconds to sexually harass Natalie, his secretary after which Hugh Grant gets to give his like big dramatic kind of like I'll show you America speech.
4: Mm, yeah. I fear that this has become a bad relationship. A relationship based on the president taking exactly what he wants, and casually ignoring all those things that really matter to um, Britain. We may be a small country, but we're a great one too. The country of Shakespeare, Churchill, The Beatles, Sean Connery, Harry Potter, <laughs> David Beckham's right foot, David Beckham's left foot. Company. But a friend who bullies us is no longer a friend. And since bullies only respond to strength, now onward, I will be prepared to be much stronger. And the president should be prepared for that.
2: Which I would like to say is the one bad relationship in this movie that is actually called out as a bad relationship. Even though people are like cheating on each other left and right.
3: But by the way, it's only called out as a bad relationship once Billy Bob Thornton, like and I'm using this term not because I believe it, but I'm going to simplify it, touched his property, right? Like, basically, if Billy Bob Thornton did not touch Natalie, there would have been no speech. It was like, you touched my girl. Now I'm mad at you. Like, it, like so even that is like, the, the big speech is also coming from a totally wrongheaded place.
2: Yeah, and also the person who like apologizes for it, the only person who apologizes for it is Natalie, the person yeah. who got assaulted At the end of the movie, right before they finally get together.
4: I just wanted to say, um. Thank you for the Christmas card.
0: You're welcome. Look, I'm so sorry about that day. I mean, I came into the room and he sinked towards me and there was a fire and he's the President of the United States and nothing happened, I promise. And I just felt like such a fool because. I think about you all the time, actually. And I think you're the man that I really.
2: Oh,
4: wow. That really was just around the corner. Uh...
2: By the way, this scene, this whole interaction of, like, Hugh Grant, boyish, boyish prime minister, huffing up against, like, bullying, vaguely Southern American president, of course, was, like, paralleling Tony Blair and his relationship with George Bush at the time, which put Tony Blair himself In a weird position, like people are like, be more like Hugh Grant in Love Actually, which is a very weird thing to say to a person who's like actually a politician. But they're like, stand up to him. Hugh Grant did it like right after he danced to jump. Like, why don't you do it? And Blair finally had to give like a speech where he said, I know that there is a bit of us that would like me to do a Hugh Grant in Love Actually and tell America where to get off. But the difference between a good film and real life is that in real life, there's the next day, the next year, the next lifetime to contemplate all the ruinous consequences of easy applause. Mm. But he actually had to address it. Address the fact that this fantasy movie made him look like weak for not being as tough on George Bush as Hugh Grant was on Billy Bob Thornton.
3: And it's interesting because this movie is a post 9-11 film, but they are parodying Bill Clinton. That is not... George Bush. Like he is dressed, you know, Billy Bob is dressed as Bill Clinton, like that tie, that look. I mean, he doesn't look like him, but that's what I think they're going for there. They're not going for George Bush. it's Um,
2: It's like a mashup. It's like a mashup. I think it's like the politics of George Bush and the actions of Bill Clinton.
3: The other and probably the most confounding <sighs> are we still I, talking about relationships, Jenny? We are. I mean, well that's what the whole movie is about, and we have to kind of break yeah. them all down. I mean, okay. the other one that is really tough for me is Liam Neeson, who I think is doing. I mean, look, everybody in this movie is actually doing a great job. I have no real like, I have I have issues with their characters. I have no issues with them as actors. Um and like Liam Neeson is a grieving. Stepfather, and th- I had a real issue with this, and I want to know if it like stuck out to you. Like, they really wanted to like hammer home stepson, stepson. Why stepson? Like, why not just make it his son? This is his wife, and this is his son. But they get like, and and when Claudia Schiffer shows up, and it's not really Claudia Schiffer; it's just somebody. I mean, it is Claudia Schiffer, pretending pretend to look like Claudia. Whatever the the idea being. That he immediately says, She's like, Oh, I, I know your son. He goes, uh, Stepson. Like, like I'm not spoiled. I didn't, I didn't drop my seed yet. So I, I still got a good one here. Like that, don't worry about that one. That's my dead wife's. Like, eh, you know, I'm a stepdad. It was such a weird. There's so many weird choices that this movie makes, and that being a giant one. Like It's just why? Why overcomplicate the situation? Like, that's his stepson. And why is he, like, always saying stepson, stepson, stepson? It's like... (laughs) like, That's true. Why?
2: Is it because it would be too weird if it was his son, since all they do is talk about chicks? I mean, is it because... It's a little less creepy to obsess over a child's love life if you're not related to him. No, as I say that out loud, it suddenly seems more creepy to obsess over a child's love life if you're not blood related to him. Because that's like literally all they talk about. They watch Titanic together. And then there's kind of that screwed up scene where they're watching Titanic together. They're doing the arms thing on the couch. And then like the little kid tries to fall back into Liam's arms and he like lets him fall down. And he says, you trust me? Fool. Which, like, he's pranking his kid, his stepson, whose mom just died, by, like, not even catching him when they're watching Titanic together to do the trust fall. And I had a thought watching this movie. I'm like, here I am watching a movie that is beloved by so many and that I consider to be a pile of garbage. Is this the exact emotion that other people feel when they're watching Titanic? I'm just on the other side of it.
3: Well, I was going to ask you about this because... (sighs) It is a tricky thing. I mean, let's just say also this movie deals with uh just a complete complete warping of time. I mean, nothing makes sense. Like you see the guy who is lighting the porno uh in the wedding, but then he's lighting the porno. It seems like right afterwards, the son is complaining about this girl not liking him, and he's like, "Let's go watch a movie." But it seems like it's like really late at night, so it's like, are they watching a three-hour movie like at midnight? Like he the kid can't sleep. Like the timing of everything on this movie, like, you know, for the fact that Bill Nye is recording this song like December first to make like it's a produced track, and they're racing like. Christmas albums come out in Halloween but again I don't want to get into the nitty gritty of that but the but this movie is egregious about saying fuck you time makes no sense here like it's it's like cuz you will cut from scene to scene it seems like it's all happening i guess like within the week but it is well, yeah. confounding
2: Two of these couples get engaged in one month Two of these couples get engaged in one month that is insane John and Judy get engaged and also Colin Firth and Aurelia, they get engaged in like one month, which is also not how time works either, right? I mean, I guess it's kind of how time worked in like movies that we used to, remember when we used to talk about this in like romantic comedies from the thirties, how like, how Catherine Hepburn would meet a guy and then they'd just like get engaged and go get married the next day. I guess this is trying to bring back the classic romantic comedy in, in that way, that this is a normal way of being. Are we the weirdos? Is it weird to take time to get engaged?
3: I, I don't know. There's so, there, there's just so, so much here, and we can get into the, and I, I guess this is the conversation that we have to agree to have. Yes, we can pick apart some of the shit that really, really is stupid, but I think it's interesting to get into these other ideas, these bigger ideas, which are much more like, wait, what? Like, I can, I'll give... I'll give all into my rom-com mind and not question, like, simple, uh, you know, simple logic. But I will not give over to some of these larger issues. And 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 the first one is, for me, the way that they deal with Liam Neeson's dead wife. Like, okay, first of all, Emma Thompson is like, get over it, no one likes a wuss. And I guess she's being playful with him. Um, but... It doesn't sound that playful. No, it's like, get over your dead wife. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and everyone's like amping him up. like, oh, He's talking about Claudia Schiffer, Claudia Schiffer, Claudia Schiffer, Claudia Schiffer. And then he, and again, we didn't even break down this relationship because it's barely a relationship. Then he meets a woman who looks just like Claudia Schiffer and he's like, now I'm in love with you. Wait, hold on. You didn't talk to her. She just looks like someone you like. She has no, she has no authority in this world. Like she basically is like, I'll see you again. Why? You have had no, nothing has connected any of these characters. And yet it's like, it's like, it's the way that I used to think in like middle school. Like, I like that girl. She's going to like me. It's like, it's such a egotistical way of looking at love. It's like, it's a, so one-sided, but I, I found that the dealing with the death of this woman uh, to be really, I mean, I think Liam Neeson may have, made it too good because the gravitas that he brings to like his grieving is so interesting but yet the the way that he's so lax with his son stepson is so light it's like this boy just lost his mother and you're like what's your problem oh he's in his room it's like Help him a little bit. Like, you know, like laughing at him. Like, huh, oh, yeah, your life is over. Hmm, my, my my wife dies. Like, yeah, so does his mom. Like, it's a weird, like, the like the levels are off. It's constantly, like, just, like, I'm like, why is this level up so high and this level is down so low? I don't, I don't, I, ma- mean, I doesn't, yeah.
2: I wonder how long they were married. Like, because she has a full grown, you know, a foolish yeah, grown she's... son. He's like, what, 11, I think. I think the actor's 13 playing 11. So... You know, I don't know who his dad was or why his dad doesn't want custody. Come back, maybe yeah. Maybe he's a widow. Maybe she was a widow. Who knows? Maybe it's like a whole chain of like widows marrying widowers here in this world. But like, whatever the case, maybe they got married like a year ago or something and they barely he barely knows the kid. Could that make sense? But, and I that's mean, why but, he's but like, where I about guess the, we broke down
3: together but where's the like the human like where's the human spirit because i mean they also set up in the movie that he had a long time to prepare for her death and i think that was a line that was kind of thrown in like yeah 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 i've been grieving for a while so uh the th- like two weeks later when i meet claudia schiffer lookalike i'm going to be okay cuz like he said like we had a long time to prepare for this and she gave me different rules that i was i had to do for the funeral so even if he met her That's within right. a year it's like
2: Maybe. Yeah. Did he did he marry her because she was dying to get to the kid?
3: I mean, that 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 is honestly to me like I know we can break down all the stalker bullshit in this movie, but that to me, I'm like, what are we trying to do here? Just well, make it a single dad with a son with the wife. You don't have to make her fresh. You don't have to make her corpse, you know, super fresh. out of. You know, it's like she literally is freshly dead. And well, uh, everyone's not giving him space or helping him or even cooking meals for the guy.
2: No, I mean, I think that like I think that Emma tells him that people hate sissies like a week after she dies. And, and also, to make it a little weirder, the woman in the picture that we see at at the funeral was actually like a woman that Richard Curtis knew that he thought was just really pretty. She was. She's a filmmaker herself, but she's not an actress. And he just asked her if she would be the dead woman. I think it sounds like a woman that he kind of had a crush on. And he was like, will you just send me a bunch of beautiful pictures of yourself to play the dead woman in this movie? I mean, it feels a little bit creepy that I get the sense that this is a woman that Richard Curtis had a crush on. And he was like, give me pretty pictures of yourself. You will be this dead woman here.
3: In I will home. be the real life Andrew Lincoln.
2: And I will say that maybe it sounds like kind of crazy talk. However, Uh, So Richard Curtis is also a man who, when he was younger, had a crush on a girl, just a crush as far as I know, who like never dated him and wound up marrying a man named Bernard. And in every single movie he has ever done, he has written a jerk character named Bernard. The Bernard character in this movie is Emma Thompson's son, who most of his stuff was cut out, which I definitely want to get into because his stuff is amazing. But his name was Bernard and he was like a terrible son. There's a moment where like she's joking around um, with with her husband and she's like, well, at least we have one good kid meeting the girl. But really, some woman that didn't date you marries another man and you punish that man forever by using his name as a jerk. I will believe that there are there's a lot of anger in this film. There's a well, lot of anger yes. actually. In well love actually.
3: By the way, uh, actually is said twenty-two times in this film. Um, you know, now that you say this, it actually clarifies something for me. I wonder if like all these male characters are just avatars for Richard Curtis, because what you're describing is very much Andrew Lincoln's character. Andrew Lincoln goes to photograph the wedding, um, you know, of his best friend, and basically makes, like, a Yank Bank reel for Keira Knightley. Like, by the way, it's not even, like, they're not even, like, super beautiful shots. It's really close-ups on her eyes and lips, and, I mean, it it's, like, I know people get all bent out of shape about the cue cards, like, in that being stalkery, but that, to me, is scarier. Like, a guy just making a video, like... <laughs> like on well, eyes and nose and mouth. I'm like, Well, I will boy. say, like,
2: I mean, based on the art in Andrew's gallery, which is all just, like, pictures of dicks and pictures of boobs and pictures of butts, she, it, we're very lucky that his wedding video of her wasn't just her boobs. But I want to say you are absolutely on the right track. Like, Andrew Lincoln, who actually plays that character, gave an interview once where so you said that Emma Freud, Emma Freud was the script editor on Love Actually. She is also... The partner of Richard Curtis knows Richard Curtis very well, knows things about Richard Curtis. Like the only reason that he called Colin first character Jamie is so that the kids in that one scene could say, I hate Uncle Jamie as like an elbow to his brother. Um, wow. Emma Freud went up to Andrew and told him during the cue card scene that this is the closest character to Richard that he has ever written. So you are exactly
3: on the wow. Mind. Well, okay. And I think... There is something really interesting about this relationship with Kira Knightley. And I know she's 18, but I, I think let's just ignore that because it's not like part of the story that, you know, she's probably playing up a little bit um, in her age, I guess. I don't know. But I don't I don't feel like that's a major part of the story. But I will say that when she watches that video, the way that. She responds to it. Again, I'm going to go out and say that I think these actors are doing a damn fine job. Like, Kieran Knightley walks this line of being oblivious, complimented, freaked out, and then, like, that is a hard scene to play that because that's straight up creepy. And the only reason why Andrew Lincoln is not viewed as a super creep in this movie is purely. Because of her reactions. And her reactions are not based in reality at all. Like, if you saw that and you're like, my best, my husband's best friend is like, like, has a crush on me, but not even has a crush on me. Like, is, this is disturbing. This is like serial killer footage I'm watching of myself.
2: Oh, I She's think like, it's, it's a little bit more romantic than that. But you're right. Like, really? That you camera- think that's romantic? Well, more romantic. She's getting than serial married. Killer. It's more romantic than serial killer. That that was our boundary, right? It's more romantic than serial killer. It, sure. I think I am giving him a lot of credit for it not being footage of her boobs. Although she
3: is wearing that really fussy I sweater. I mean, Amy, that like but, that, like like footage of her boobs is like I I I think I'm more it's like but boobs I, I, yes, would I'm not. Be yeah. in
2: keeping, boobs would be in keeping with this movie, which is why right, I,
3: right, right. Which is yeah, why I'm, I get, I'm yeah.
2: touched by that concession. I do think that shot of Kiera's face is amazing. I think Kiera Knightley is really one. She has been like such a slow burn in becoming one of my favorite actors. She's mm-hmm. wonderful. She's in a very twisted movie that just came out um, right now called Silent Night which I recommend if you're looking for like a really screwed up Christmas film to stream. Oh, what it's basically about a bunch of like rich jerks who get together for a fancy Christmas party in the British countryside, but the thing is is that there's a poison gas cloud coming and that the British people have all been giving a, given a suicide pill that they have to take that night so that they don't die a painful death in this poison gas cloud. Um, and everybody's just very mean and they get really drunk and they're like wasting basically their last night together. But she holds that film together. I think she's just a marvelous actress. Like her face is so expressive and thoughtful all the time, even in this scene. So it's like you go with that character and with the way that, that her relationship with this guy has been like – I think turned into being seen as kind of a sweet romance, as creepy as it is. She he, kisses him, Amy. She the kisses kissing him. Kissing him. The kissing him is the thing because that just makes it weirder. It's like you're it's like having a dog and it poops on your rug and you give it a treat. That's a really bad idea. Well, and she also, cou- yeah. Richard Curtis knows that this is kind of creepy because, like, in his house, when she barges into his house with Pi to get her wedding video, you see that Richard Curtis shows us that this guy owns a VHS tape of Rear Window, which has to be Richard Curtis saying, I know this guy is a bit of a creep,
3: but, right, it gets, so, but he gets kissed yes. at the end of it
2: anyway. And like, what does that mean?
3: All right. So I'm, I'm going to reveal something. I wasn't going to reveal it until the end, but I feel like it's worthy of bringing up. So I did my very deep internet dive to find it, but I did watch the Love Actually sequel the 15 minute short film that Richard Curtis made for Red Nose Day in the UK in 2017 or 2018 when it's very is hard to Red find Red Nose Day? Actually, Red Nose Day started by Richard Curtis. Uh, so that's an interesting connection. And probably a reason why this cast got together and the four weddings and a funeral cast got together. He uh, started Comic Relief and that became Red Nose Day. And Red Nose Day has kind of grown and grown in popularity. And it's it's a giant event that takes place, I believe, in March of every year. So it's uh, it's an amazing organization. and That and, actually,
2: I think, has more heart than Love Actually itself. So that, that shows a lot of real-world heart.
3: And what they do and what's really interesting about Red Nose Day is in the difference between the States and the UK is like people actually come and make these weird things like for red nose day, because they know it's for charity. They got the whole cast or most of the whole cast together uh, for this love actually sequel. They did like a four weddings and a funeral like sequel. And you know, they they're it's, it's very light. It's sketch. It's sketch light, but you get to see where all these characters are like the love actually characters 14 years later. And like what Richard Curtis wants of these characters 14 years later is so upsetting. Like So the scene that opens up the whole movie is is Andrew Lincoln coming back to Kieran Knightley's house, uh, knocking on the door and doing the cue cards again. And, you know, still flirting with her and then revealing, hey, remember when I said I was going to get married to one of these like models again, models that, that they are the the apex of what love is. Um, He's like, well, here she is. And he like reveals he's married to Kate Moss and Kate Moss is like there for the ride. And I know it's a good sketch, so I'm not going to break it down too much, but it is like, it's so funny (laughs) that like he finally found love with Kate Moss. And it seems like these characters haven't seen each other since the end of love, actually. So it's like his best friend and him, they don't know what, like, I mean, even the fucking sketch, which I guess they just needed to do the cue card bit again. But, like, even the sketch, like, is like, ah, fuck it. Who gives a shit? Like, they, they, of course they don't see it. You're, you've never seen your best friend in 14 years? And then this is, a, like, you weren't at the wedding? Like Kier Knightley, you didn't show up to that wedding. Like, does not this didn't happen? I mean, and then and then you would have to say like, Hey, by the way, I was a real weird stalker dick, uh, to Cure Knightley uh, fourteen years ago. I'm gonna go back to her house, recreate that, and you're gonna come with me. Would you like to do that? And and then the cue cards are guessing things that night Knightley. They would have to pre-plan what the cue <laughs> like the cue cards are so written out that now it doesn't even make sense. Like, it's it's so. <laughs> Stupid! It's so stupid. And I get it. You gotta do the fucking cute cards. But at least have a little bit more like something. Do it a little bit better. Do something like I don't know. But luckily Kieran Knightley and Chiwetel are still together very happily. Or well, kind of happily.
2: But also like I will say this. Why should we even root for Kira Knightley and Chiwetel Ejiofor to be together? Because like they get married, I guess, at the beginning at this wedding where there's a bunch of secretive people playing saxophone. They don't notice that they don't recognize half the people at their own wedding. They never have a conversation that we actually feel like we should care about them either. In fact, the one thing we know about Chiwetel Ejiofor is that he hates carol singers. Like the doorbell (laughs) rings. She tells him that carol singers are there. He tells them to bugger off. He hates people who sing at his doorstep. So like, you know what? I'm not invested in his happiness either. He sounds like a real jerk too.
3: I mean, the fact that he wouldn't come down to watch carol singers is aggressive. Like, again, like... Like, how often is it happening that you don't have any interest in seeing it? And and was that a good plan? And not only well, I mean, again, I could get into the logic of it. Does
2: Mark know him enough to know that he hates carol singers? Did a carol singer like run over his mom? And is that why he's so screwed up in the head? But he has he has to he can't even just like not come down. He has to tell his newly wife to go tell Carol Singers to fuck off, essentially. Which, which
3: he does like, in the sequel as well. They're like, oh, they're collecting money for Red Nose Day. He's like, ah, give him a quid and tell him to fuck off. Jesus, they just he's cut a to,
2: real yeah. He's like Scrooge. What's wrong oh, he's with He's
3: giving a quid, though. He's giving a quid. What um, is a
2: quid? Is that five?
3: I don't know. Yeah, it's probably. It, look, it's, it felt it felt generous, but not too generous. Um, they just cut to him a lot more because he's a lot more famous now. All right. So. I can tell you all the forward-facing things that happened, and because I watched the whole thing, the only person that didn't show up was Emma Thompson, and she uh, said that she didn't want to do the sequel because of her relationship with Alan Rickman, and and how could you do how could you do like a continuation of that story with Alan Rickman not being there? And I thought that actually was probably the most tasteful thing uh, that that both movies have done, uh, because Bill Nye did not have that issue. Bill Nye gets in there and is like. And they're like, where is your manager friend? He's like, he's fucking dead. He's a fat man with a fat heart and he fucking died. Oh, (laughs) but he's actually not
2: even dead. He's actually very much alive. He is? (laughs) Yeah. Wait, wait, what? Yeah. No, No, they just made him dead. I don't
3: know. Wait, they brought back everybody. They brought back the little girl. They brought back the little because the boy, the boy falls in love with the little girl. And like she asks him to marry her. Uh, and, and also Liam Neeson it, doesn't marry, uh, seem yeah Liam Neeson hasn't seen his son like he's like oh you've grown up so much it's like wait how many years have you like abandoned this boy like you you don't you haven't seen him so you're like you've grown <laughs> so like it seemed like Liam Neeson's character hadn't seen his son since the movie ended and stepson. that was troubling his stepson. his stepson of course well you don't have to see his stepson but you, know, right. you, you do have to
2: traditionally ask a stepfather if you can get if you can marry his son <laughs> But you know what? I guess that the logic of like asking for permission makes sense when Colin Firth has to go to Portugal to ask like that dad if he could marry like his Portuguese daughter. And then the dad thinks he's selling the other daughter, which is like, ta a total joke because she's... Bigger. she's too fat she's too fat no one will want to marry a nobody fat girl
3: I um, mean oh, I hate that and you know what I'm saying that is uh, you know just the, the movie has a very anti-fat bias and it's bizarre it is it is bizarre because I think the movie's trying to show all different types of people but the one thing that unites them is that everyone it can slam each other's appearances <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's so crazy. Like, once you start listening for it, that's all they say. Like, you can't say something nice to anybody in this movie. You can't even have a real conversation longer than 10 seconds in this movie without somebody saying something mean, usually that you're fat, sometimes that you're dumb. But it really is kind of like a an entire film based around this idea of, like, negging. There's something in this film that makes me wonder if, like, the entire culture was still going completely insane after 9-11 where they're both like horny all the time and also very angry. Like horny and angry seems to be like the mood that unites most people in this. They want to have sex, but they also want to be mean to people, but they want to be just nice enough that they can have sex, but then be like, you're an asshole, just kidding. You're fat. Let's have sex. I love you. You're also fat, but I still love you.
3: Let me pitch you an idea here because as we're talking about this, I think we're talking about a lot of tropes in rom-coms that you forgive because you're invested in the characters, right? You you buy into certain things and you you don't question things. But this movie is like watching a great magician do the same trick over and over again. And like the only thing that changes is the color of the handkerchiefs, right? So it's like, oh, I've made these handkerchiefs come out of my hand. And the first one, you're like, oh, that's really impressive. And then the second time, oh, they're different. Okay, oh, that's longer. That's shorter. And what we're seeing is that the same trick over and over. So it almost, in a way when you start to deconstruct it, you start to see all the sloppiness that rom-coms have to be to work, right? Like, you are okay with Lloyd Dobler standing out in front of her house with a boombox over his head. That's cute in the moment. But if you do, like, if you have three characters in the movie doing three creepy things, and you're like, oh, wait, huh. Like, you know, it's like it starts to, like, amplify on some level. And I think this is my issue with the movie because this movie is I believe it is well-constructed. I will fall for it. Like, when Hugh Grant is dancing around to the Point of Sisters, yeah, I think it's cute. I'm in. Like, I actually like hate that scene. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, I
2: and mean, oh, so does Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant thought it was, like, too jokey. And oh,
3: I kinda, really? But I he did it for it the too... fucking sequel. He danced to know. Drake Hotline Bling, oh. jumped right back in, and then made it almost... That made me uncomfortable. Like, pulling his... Oh, I pulled a joint! And then he falls down the falls Ugh. down the stairs amy Ugh, i hate he that falls kind of comedy. Down the it's stairs. too big
2: it's too big also how weird is it, is it that he's like living at the prime minister's mansion he is the prime minister you get to see the wall of prime ministers you get to yeah. see like tony blair's face is up there in the stairway as he's dancing down but they never put his face up there they're just like ignoring the fact that he is prime minister in his own house he doesn't do you, have his do you, own picture in his house
3: but don't they do that after you leave i mean it's like obama's Presidential portrait wasn't revealed until afterwards, right? I mean, like, well, do, yes and
2: no. Like, I mean, what we know in Red Nose Day is he did leave, and then he like yes, got reelected, so they never put him up that time either.
3: Oh, oh, I, I see what you're saying. It's not there in the second one. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not
2: there ever. I mean, in the first one, I could say, I guess he did just move in, sure. But like in Red Nose Day, they're still refusing to acknowledge that he was ever prime minister on the wall.
3: All right, so all right, do you don't like this dancing scene? I. Again, this is the scene where I'm not going to call out the logic that he's listening to the radio in his room. And then he dances around the house as if it's being pumped through Sono speakers. Sono speakers, great speakers, no longer an ad supporter of us. But, you know, we love those speakers. Uh, but uh, I don't think they're an ad supporter of any podcast. But uh, I'll tell you this much. That like so in that moment, like I'm just like those are the things that like get me in a rom-com. I'm like, I love it. I'll watch you, Grant, jump around and be cutie, you know, and and. All the father son stuff I got me with, you know, uh, like there are these like nuggets that are fun and maybe in a larger movie. Like apparently this was supposed to be two different movies. He had a Colin Firth movie and a Hugh Grant movie. And he realized, oh, my gosh, these plots are the same. Let me put them in the same movie. And then I guess all he decided was, let me put six other plots that are almost the same. (laughs) Like if I got 2 that they're the same let me get a baker's dozen in there and then we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Like it's 14, I almost,
2: 14, his original script for this had 14. There's plus.
3: a whole story that's cut out. Like the, the headmistress of the school that is a completely cut out. Like that's a, a, a gay relationship. I guess in my mind, why would you cut out the one thing that's a little bit different? Like that's the thing I really have an issue with is like this movie is a lot of sameness.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, we know everything that he's cut out because, like, not only has he give, talked about it in interviews, but he has put some of the clips online. Some of the stuff he cut out and never filmed, some of the stuff he did film and cut out, some of the things that he never filmed. He had a whole subplot in here about a girl who was in a wheelchair and, like, what her love life was like. Oh, wow. He had another subplot about two schoolgirls who were also in love. Um, he didn't cut, he never ended up filming that story. He had this whole really toxic story that I'm kind of surprised he didn't film about a guy who's, like, obsessed with a girl. And decides to record a whole album about how much he is in love with her and then he invites her to the studio on the day he records it but as he's recording his bit in the two hours that he's in the booth she goes off and has sex with the drummer seems like that would fit in this movie perfectly doesn't record it weird then
3: I mean women are so badly like women are too like they say it at certain points like I feel like they're they are to be fucked like that like like it's like there is just like there's a moment where like bill nye and i know it's part of his character and i like him in the in the movie but like he's like there's a bunch of women there with open mouths as if like <laughs> what the fuck like the only way like it's like that's how everyone views women like they are not to be heard <laughs> they're not to be they're not to be spoken to they are just so they're just to be to be, uh, you know, you insert yourself into them. Like, like, like there is very little of that. Like, I, I don't even know. I don't. Yeah. Even, I mean, I, like Mindy
2: West, I guess that we're going to have on later. Yeah. She she wrote in her essay, she wrote, this is a movie that says the more a woman talks, the less lovable she is. Because <laughs> all of our characters that we actually get to know better, like Ebba Thompson and Laura Linney, wind up alone and sad. Whereas Denise Richards is great. Walks in, gives people kisses, everything's great, she's hot, we're fine. But back to the two things that he did film that didn't make it in the movie. So part of what happened with the deleted subplot about the headmistress is that he had this whole giant part about the shitty Bernard, who is Emma Thompson's son. And so, like, shitty Bernard is being, like, a terrible kid this whole movie. Um, She's really annoyed at him. That scene where, like, her daughter tells her that she has to be a lobster for Christmas— in the full cut of the movie, he like pans away from the daughter in that scene to a whole scene with the son about how terrible the son is. So then Emma Thompson gets called into the headmistress's office and um, the headmistress is mad because her son has written this essay for Christmas and where the topic is supposed to be, what would you want for Christmas if you could have anything? And this is what the kid wrote. She's making Emma Thompson read it, but we can hear the kid's voice.
0: Extremely hard about what I would wish for at Christmas. But after long consideration... You misspelled consideration. Sorry. Right. After long consideration, I've decided this is my Christmas wish. That is for one day you could see people's farts. Can you imagine anything more fun? You get to the end of a huge Christmas meal and your grandmother lets rip. (laughs) And at last, for once, she can't blame the dog. You go to church and for the first time
2: ever it's fun. (laughs) And here is Eva Thompson's reaction to her son. This act, It actually brings them closer together. I'm
1: sorry too, Bernie. Sorry and ashamed and embarrassed that I have put you in a school with such total and utter pricks that they don't get a good gag when they see one. I mean... Look, no, this this is high class comedy. This this is first rate stuff.
4: Look, you're my son, and obviously I
2: have to love you. <laughs> right now, I really love you. <laughs> but because they deleted this whole plot for some reason, then Richard Curtis had to delete his like side thing, which was going to be like this romance with the headmistress. Here's him talking about it, and then here's a little bit of like the clip of her love
1: story. Um, but obviously when we'd lost the bit with Em and her uh, son, uh, we couldn't do this, because the idea was meant to be that you just casually met this very sort of um, uh, stern headmistress, and who you would just think, well, there's a stern headmistress. And the idea was meant to be that later on in the film, 15 minutes later, we suddenly fell in with the headmistress and you realise that no matter how unlikely it seems that any character that you come across in life has their own um, complicated uh, tale of love But the essay was excellent well to be honest it did have its amusing side his Christmas wish was to see people's farts <laughs> bravo that's my Christmas wish too
2: basically it's like three minutes her partner dies and at the very end at like the whole Christmas pageant Emma Thompson you know looks at her alone in the audience and like kind of bonds with the headmistress and is like you know we're proud of you for coming here and we respect your strength and that was it that was like one of the other that was like his attempt at having a long-term partnership also in this movie except for the one other thing he did which is I would say even more insane than an essay all about Christmas farts, which is a love story that doesn't even take place in England. It doesn't even take place in France, like where we are with, um, with Colin Firth. It is apparently, okay, do you know what, like, Alan Rickman's job is this office where like Mia, the sexy lady works and like Laura Linney works. No, I don't know. Do you I know what know. they do? Okay. It's a little bit vague, but what they do, if you really look at the, at the posters in the background is that they are like a graphic design kind of company, like a visual company that makes posters, sad pictures of people in Africa to promote like charities about human trafficking. It's very Ooh. weird. But if you like freeze some of the images, you can see posters in the background of that are like pictures of like people in Africa. And the words are sort of like, you can help them or help or blah, 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 blah. That's what their company does when they're not like having, you know, sexual harassment lawsuits. Where like he's actually saying like, hey, here in this office, I really recommend you avoid Kevin.
1: Find a venue over order on the drinks bulk by the guacamole and advise the girls to avoid Kevin if they want their breasts unfondled.
2: So in this office with these posters everywhere that give away that this is supposed to be like, you know, a human rights oriented office. Richard Curtis shot a couple of scenes where he looks at one of the posters and then zooms in and the posters come to life. And when they come to life, the people in Kenya, which is where these scenes were shot, are having their own conversations about love. And they are. As demented as anything else in the film This one is subtitled But I want to play it for you I can see from your face, Paul That you have not seen this deleted clip No I think we should just read the subtitles aloud If that is okay by you Yeah As we're doing this scene By the way, I want you to imagine A couple, their young son Their young son is shirtless Standing in front of a field of barren crops That make it clear They will not have food to survive Come on There's nothing more you can do today
3: I feel like I've let you down.
2: Don't be stupid. As long as I can see a grin on that ugly face of yours, everything's fine with me. (laughs) We have to leave. If we have to, we have to. Where do you think we should go? I hear Paris is very nice this time of year. So, the cure is they should move to Paris. I mean... (laughs) Yeah.
3: All right, well, look again. Well, look, I mean, I remember that movie Babies, uh, which is kind of an amazing movie where they... It's a documentary about how people raise babies all around the world uh, and, and the differences and the similarities. And there is something really interesting to do this movie and do it from a worldwide perspective, right? But it seems to be like... And look, I like this and I bond with this. Like one of the things I really liked in the Love Actually redo was Colin Firth and his Portuguese wife. They now have three kids and a lot of their repartee is kind of like shitting. Well, she shits on him and it's a it's kind of a cute thing. Or it, you know, I, I thought it was like I like I buy their bond, and I think the same thing in that scene, I buy that bond. I don't buy that point of view, especially coming from Richard Curtis, who does Red Nose Day, which is about poverty and in the and especially in third world countries and and things like that. Like it's like, okay, I mean, it's like it's like, but I mean, I feel like as long as you call somebody ugly or stupid, you know, you're okay. I mean, I'm also curious about how Rufus, you know, the bagger, Rowan Atkinson, was going to be an angel, like what that was supposed to be. Was the angel supposed to be like preventing uh, Alan Rickman from getting the necklace? Yeah, he and was I supposed
2: didn- to take so long filling up the bag that Alan Rickman wouldn't be able to like give his mistress a present. And then he was supposed to, when he shows back up again at the end as the kid is trying to get through 911 security, he was supposed to... Um, Disappear as soon as the child was able to slip through the guards, to, like, disappear so that you would know that he was actually an angel. Which, by the way, one last deleted scene. Please, people need to go find this. There is a second version of the little kid's airport scene where he's, like, Uh running through the airport. Uh, Apparently, according to Richard Curtis, the kid in earlier versions of the script had a special skill.
1: In the original draft of the movie, there were lots of mentions about the fact that Sam, the little boy was a brilliant gymnast, and you casually saw him when he was very sad, being brilliant at, at, at gym, sort of doing double twists and turns and not getting any joy out of it at all.
2: I will say, when you watch this airport scene, here's how the kid gets to the girl in the deleted version. He does a triple somersault, he does six cartwheels, he does two backflips, he does a full parallel bar routine in the airport. And then he lands down and is able to seduce his love with a hello. And and also, I love the idea that this movie comes very close to saying, I guess, like, the war on terror reminded us that we should all love each other, but also because of the war on terror... Because of the security at airports, now we can't have love unless you like do something illegal, where honestly, that kid would definitely be arrested by the end of this. And he like somehow also knows all the secret back routes of the airport, which is very suspicious.
3: Especially for a kid, yeah. Very
2: suspicious. And the security guards are doing a very bad job protecting all of us because they're watching Bill Nighy take off his pants on TV instead of like catching this kid.
3: By the way, when did he do that? When did he do that? Like, he promised that if he became number one, he would perform the song live on TV naked. And what we see is get the phone call live on Christmas Eve night when everyone in the UK is working. Like, they are, like, there is so much work going on and there's no deadlines to meet. Like, nothing has been set up. Like, you got to work Christmas Eve. Like, what kind of fucking Scrooge world is this? And I know the UK is takes Christmas very seriously, like, like, everyone's working, and you're having a school performance on Christmas Eve? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that is not, and I know that's, like, a bullshit thing that happens in movies, but fuck all of that, it's like, Nakatomi, they don't even, Nakatomi didn't even happen on Christmas Eve, it was a Christmas party, and the, and the girl... She's leaving for the States on Christmas Eve. Oh yeah. What better way to spend uh, Christmas Eve into Christmas day on an international flight, a child, like what is going on in this movie? I mean, it is, and it's wild, but I want to go back to this Bill Nye thing. Bill Nye or Nye is, you know, I'll, I'll do it naked. I'll do it live. We see him get the phone call. We see him, you know, after the post Elton John party, which is a party And then we cut to much later after he's agreed to watch porn with his buddy, because that's what buddies do. They get drunk and they watch porn together. Um... Then we see it on TV. So, like, when did that live performance happen? After he was watching porn with his manager in that shitty place? Like, Was he trying to get
2: himself pumped up so he'd really show the TV audience something?
3: I mean, again, I don't want to, like, fully rip it all to shreds. But, I mean, that one is, that's another one where it's like, you can't just show every part of this guy's story and then go, oh, yeah, then he also performed live that night, too. I mean, it makes for a moment where everyone's got to be... Ay, 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 but it just I it mean, drives me crazy that
2: said bill nighy i would say of all the characters in this movie comes across the best because well, he's he yeah. a piece of shit but he is the, an honest piece of shit and that is why everybody loves her like billy bill Nye, in a way i feel like this movie presages cancel culture because everybody in this movie does things that you would be canceled for today except the fact that he is the most outrageous one makes him kind of this unpre. Pre-cancel culture, uncancelable figure. Everybody loves him because he calls his own album a festering turd. And there's something that this movie is saying inadvertently and almost psychically about the year, you know, that we are all living in today. About how this is the kind of person that can survive and outlast and live. And that if you're a person who knows you are terrible and just keeps saying it, then people will love you as opposed to all of these other people in the movie who are terrible but say that they are lovable and then also get love, but then their love makes you feel really creeped out. I respect that Billy Mac is a definitive cad. Good for
3: him. Well, you know, Billy Mac, I like Billy Mac. And I like that character. And again, it's and I love hard nice because this is an interesting thing. You you were talking about these deleted scenes and I'm going to guarantee you that every one of those deleted scenes did not have a giant celebrity in it. And... um. And because of that, that's why they're deleted, right? And we keep in all the people we love. And everybody in this movie, I think, across the board, is beloved. Like, and it may be because of this movie, it may not be. But you look at this cast list, and it's just Hugh Grant, Emma Thompson, Liam Neeson, Kieran Knightley, Alan Rickman, Colin Firth, Bill Nighy, Andrew Lincoln, Laura Linney, Martin Freeman, uh, you know, it's like, the list goes on and on and on. It's like, it's it's... You know, 20 people that, ever, that when you look at them, you feel good about yeah. them. So I think you Some get of all this goodwill. Some of them becoming
2: even more famous afterwards, which is like this movie yeah. was a benediction.
3: So you get this like you get this goodwill from them. And I think you I think what I like about his character, the Billy Mac character, is that he's talking about the crash commercialization of the holidays. And I think in a way by becoming number one and love actually becoming a huge hit, it's the same thing. Like if these are all avatars for Richard Curtis, Richard Curtis has created a crass, like I'll make a fucking Christmas movie for you. I'll make a romance. I'm going to hit all the beats. I'll make you cry because if you leave this movie and you're crying, it was a great movie. Any movie you leave that you cry, it was a great movie. And, and (sighs) I I, I believe that I do believe that like if you, if it gets you by your heartstrings as you as if that's the last moment, you're going to walk out and say it was a great movie because you're emotionally connected to it. You know, and I, I think I, I get that they're that theory, the same.
2: Because like even that song that he's singing, this remake of Love Is All Around Me, I mean, that is a song that Richard Curtis used in Four Weddings and a Funeral that then hit number one for weeks in England because of Four Weddings and a Funeral. That is associated with Richard Curtis. So for Richard Curtis to take a song that he is connected to and then like fuck with it, make it a terrible cover version. Yeah. Like it's deliberately an awful, awful cover version. That does, but it goes number
3: one, and you kind of, and I think that there is something interesting about that. Like not to make it like everything is meta, but I do think that there, that is such an aggressively different plot point and I do think that if we're looking at these are the shades of Richard Curtis we're just having to see all the shades at once as a young man he probably just wanted to go to the states and get laid you know uh, as a a, you know maybe a a younger man he was in love with a girl who didn't love him back you know as an older man you know he uh, knows like what he's doing is you know we talked about this like wrestling with the commercialization of his art you know like, like there's all these elements
2: I think that's genius I mean I, th- I think you've actually really hit something on the head here that like no one romantic comedy that Richard Curtis has ever done could contain the multitudes of his conflicting ideas about love and happiness and expose his dark side, which in a way I would say is very brave of Richard Curtis. We are not always our best selves in love. Actually I would say we are not always our best selves in infatuation infatuation makes no. people do crazy things. And I think if this movie had the self-awareness to know that it was about how infatuation makes people do crazy things, it would be incredibly incisive. Like, this movie is close to being a brilliant film if it was just framed differently.
3: Well, that's, that's my issue. And we talked about this idea before, which is it is more about infatuation than it is love. Like, love is really interesting. And I think the areas in which they touch on it when it's different, feels so refreshing. Like, I do like that end moment with Bill Nighy and the manager because I'm like, oh, like, he got the Christmas spirit in a way, or he got, which is to spend, you know, the holidays with those that you love. I think that's a very nice, unmaterialistic way to look at Christmas. And I think that that's what this movie is saying at the end. Like, be with the people that you love and that makes you happy. And... I do like that ending. I think that ending is strong. I think what the other ones lack is that connection. Like I don't know why you're running to go marry this person you never had a conversation with. I don't know why you did this, but that performance that he gives and the way he makes fun of the manager, but you see that this connection between the two of them, I I feel like I buy I buy that realization. He, you know, this person's been with him through thick and thin. Of course he wants to be with him.
2: And I think that, too, is a bond that Richard Curtis understands because Bill Nighy has been in basically everything Richard Curtis has done since this movie. You know, like Richard Curtis gets like having a person that you like to work with and forming this partnership that like lasts. I mean, Richard Curtis is very loyal. Like most of the actors in here many of them are like people he'd worked with in the past on different movies and he like cycles them back in i mean he basically made hugh grant's whole career and yeah. so i think there is something in richard curtis that understands a loyalty like a friendly professional or maybe very unprofessional like given on how he writes like romance uh workplace sexual problems that would get everybody sent to hr but i think he i think he understands that bond that like two men can have when they work together in a creative field. Maybe that's why it's great. Maybe it's also just that Bill Nye is amazing. I mean, even the way that Bill Nye holds his body as a rock star who's done too many drugs, you know, he seems to kind of like shove his neck all the way back inside like this scrawny turtle. Mm. You know, he's like crooked and he's stiff and he looks like he has been through like hell and back, like he has treated his body terribly and he carries it all in just the way that he moves.
3: Yeah, I think well, that's amazing. Like, I I think that like they wanted a real rock star to do it, right? They wanted like David Bowie to do this part. You know, they I think they were circling a lot of like people in their mind. I don't know if they offered it, but they realized, oh well, if we get a real rock star, and then we have to deal with their song, and then we'd have to, you know, I think what they realized was we couldn't do this commentary with a real rock star because a real rock star wouldn't be as self aware as they wanted him to be. And I think that that's one of the things that he brings to that character and. And it does show like as much as we are slagging on this movie, that there are good characters here. There are good actors here. The motivations are weird. Right. And, and then when you see a real motivation, like when you see Billy Mac and his manager, I'm like, Oh, I, I, yes, I understand this. This is good performances. I get this motivation. I'm, I feel completed at the end. Like I like that relationship and it feels real to me.
2: By the way, Talking about real rock stars, you know, when he goes on that pop show and he like sees that boy band's poster and he makes Mm -hmm. fun of them and he draws like we all have tiny wieners or something on the poster. I didn't realize that that is actually a real band. Like he did that to a real band that was real. Like the band is called Blue and he's like in this rivalry with Blue. I thought Blue was just like a made up love actually band where they took a picture of like a really ridiculous looking boy group. And he was making fun of them for being young and making fun of them for being dumb. And then, yes, drawing that they like wieners on their heads. That actually is a real band. And I had no idea, but they have a strange history where like... This band, called Blue, was a big deal. They were about to break out in America in the fall of 2001. They flew to New York to film a music video. And while they were there, they saw the 9-11 attack happen. And then a month later, they were being interviewed about it. And one of the members of the band said, you know, that this, he said, quote, this New York thing is being blown out of proportion. What about whales? They are ignoring animals that are more important. Animals need saving. And that is more important. And because this guy in blue said that they lost their record deal in the States, which is why we have never heard of them, which is why that he's making fun of a band that we all thought was fake, but is actually a real band.
3: Wow. That is a, that's a real journey there. (laughs)
2: Isn't it? I also, I mean, speaking also of like real pop stars To me, like the one sour note that makes me sad In the Bill Nighy performance Is when he tells that joke about like Having sex with Britney Spears That takes like a Mm -hmm. turn and then a turn Where he's like, well, I had sex with Britney Spears Just kidding, just kidding, she was awful And you're like, oh man That really took me back into that mindset That we are talking about When we talk about this time period Of when we thought it was okay Just to like rag on girls and a rag on Britney Spears and as soon as that joke came on it just felt like a punch in the gut like you get this watching this movie I got this like horrible sense memory of how terrible this time period was I mean oh but but Amy
3: Amy, don't worry about it because in the sequel he does the same joke about the Kardashians they ask him the same question and he says Oh, the Kardashians, but which one? I don't even know because <laughs> oh, no. women are holes that dudes stick their dicks oh. in. That is it. I, I mean, mean in a, to for, Bill
2: Murray's credit, he has said that he regrets the Britney Spears joke, but that is how the movie feels. Like, I, I mean, just did, did it Robert, again. He just well, yeah. did it again. two well, years like, ago. Or well, there's that it. scene. There's that scene where, like, Emma Thompson is like shopping for toys for her daughter, and she says, "You know, the like the only doll choices for her daughter are this is her words quote transvestite and dominatrix." That is how it felt to be alive in 2003 mm-hmm. to be a woman. That this, I mean, honestly, I think I feel like she's looking at dolls the same way that Richard Curtis looks at women in this movie, and they're just sort of. But it's like she's doing it as a commentary on like what is happening in society, and Richard Curtis is like. Well yeah, but that's just who women are, right? So it's fine.
3: All right, well let's you brought up Emma Thompson. And I think that Emma Thompson is another one of these storylines that is incredibly complex. And because it's so complex, it is way more engaging what she does in this movie in a very limited bit of screen time as everyone has. Um she plays like the serious anchor of the film. And I just want to know, like, what you think about that relationship because I, I don't know if I have a, a firm idea, but like, what do you think happens to that couple? We see a month later, again, a month later. Like, he went away on a business trip a month. I mean, well, everyone went away on a business trip a month later, but uh, but anyway, they all come back. I and in my mind, just do the year later. But anyway, what do you think is happening there? Like, what, what, like, why is he upset? Is is he upset? Is he in a bad relationship? Like. That relationship is tricky because I think she gives it a lot more than on the page. But, you know, like, what are you seeing there?
2: It's weird, right? I mean, like, she invests so much in that performance. And this film seems to invest so much in that plot line that it's weird that it never gets resolved. She's just like, now I have this choice of being with a man who I know also loves another woman. And and then it just ends. Like we don't actually ever get any follow-up. And I think that's confusing. It's like you spend so much time and there's zero resolution for her. It feels kind of like a betrayal of how much time we spend getting invested in the storyline and the in general. Like, I mean, Emma Freud, you know, who has who has been on Twitter continually ratting out her beloved Richard Curtis and like revealing things about this movie, she did say that in in Richard Curtis's mind. Emma Thompson and Alan Rickman stay together, but they are never, ever happy again, which is sad. Like when you go through and watch, a, there are some deleted scenes of them together talking about their son. They're really charming together. There's like, well, a, there's a scene that gets deleted where she like goes with her son and Mia, the you know, his sexy secretary to the art gallery that is once again surrounded in like. Naked people. She actually even comments on it at one point. She makes a joke about how, like, there's a row of naked men who are all black in this image, and you see everything. And in a nod to the hero of the last movie that we did, Little Shop of Horrors, she makes a joke uh, about a band.
1: What's this one called? Christmas Vagina, I believe. And this one? That's Vagina 2, as in Vagina number two, rather than Vagina also, though, of course it is. Also, a vagina. Well, I think it's the best party venue ever.
2: <sighs> I particularly like the portrait of the four tops. <laughs> but, but even in that scene, you know, she's hanging out with her wife and her mistress, acting totally confident. Acting like she loves her husband, telling like the mistress like how lame it is. Yeah. And she's like telling like the she's telling his mistress how hard it is to be married, but making a joke like, don't have kids, they'll ruin your life. Ha ha. Kissing her husband on the cheek. And it's like so heartbreaking seeing her be that confident in her relationship. And then to know that the movie never follows up. But yes, according to Richard Curtis, (sighs) they stay together, but they're miserable.
3: It's tricky, right? Because I want to look at that relationship just for a second. And like we talked about earlier, that love is different. That love that you have had for a long time, you've had kids with, you've seen them through everything. And I think what the movie does is it doesn't really walk on either side of the line. It, 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 kind, of, it kind of walks down the middle, and I think it makes it confusing. What story are we watching here? Because I think, in a yeah. way, it's Richard Curtis saying, well, it's okay to look, but then he got caught. And getting caught looking, I mean, and looking, I mean, he got her a necklace and stuff. But getting caught looking then means like, oh, she couldn't get over that. I just was looking. I mean, he was, Uh, you know, that there's an energy there that's like, well, like, I think he should have cheated on her. And they should have made a decision like, we're going to rebuild. Or I'm unhappy. And the relationship is neither here nor there. It seems to me like... The way that he plays it and the way that I think you're brought into it is like, he just got caught up in a moment. Yes, there was a flirtation. He took it a step too far, but not that far. Never kissed her. Never did anything but dance with her right in front of his wife and gave her the necklace. And I get giving her the necklace. But as far as things go, like Keira Knightley kissing, you know, Andrew Lincoln on the lips while her husband's upstairs and he's stalking her, that there's some stuff there too like I don't know I I just think it's like that's a very cynical point of view about love because it in a way makes both of them victims it's like well they can't see eye to eye and then that last moment in the airport you feel this moment you feel like this moment of like it's not there together but it's not great and I think I understand it because of that Joni Mitchell scene which is a beautiful scene where she's standing in the bedroom, the bed is empty, and she's looking at all the pictures of the kids and their life. And she's like, you made my life a joke. And you get in that moment, I think, her just saying, I can't leave him until the kids are out of the house. Like that, And that's in my mind, that's where I go. But I also feel like it's also a pretty aggressive way to be with somebody you've been with for a very long time who ultimately... Like, I don't even think it's an affair of the well, heart. Right. I mean, or, or well, am I wrong? Am I looking at it wrong? I'm tr- like, I'm just trying to break that one down.
2: Well, I think you're looking at it, how the movie looks at it, which is, which is, it's, it doesn't actually tell you, which is really frustrating. Like, yeah. like, For was our, it a physical affair? Or, yeah. Was it a physical affair? Was it a love affair? Was it a flirtation about bought or a necklace? According to Emma Freud, again, writing mm. out like what, what Richard Curtis meant to Emma Freud they definitely fucked. To Emma, okay. Emma Freud, like it was consummated, but it's not really clear on screen. So we don't know because you're right. Like if it wasn't consummated, but it ruins their marriage anyway, that is harsh. Like I feel like you could talk that through in therapy if you were so inclined, especially given the chemistry that they did have. That also was sort of mostly cut out. It, it, but, but we don't know. So it's very weird that this movie is over two hours long they're one of the centerpiece stories and we have no idea actually almost any of the mechanics. Well, you want to like, make have that seat.
3: choice. Like, why yeah. Why would you not make that choice? And it's yeah. sort of like... Why would you
2: not make a choice? He inserts a whole scene of like Mia taking off her clothes for no reason alone in her bedroom, but we don't actually know if they consummated it. That's weird.
3: Well, to me, this is the problem with the movie is it? it's so surface level on what love is and the challenges of love. Whereas how interesting would it be to... See, like, because we're not even really clued in that he's out of love with her until a little bit later. Like, like, I think getting back together would be interesting or staying apart would be But, like, it's just, it's just like a, a thumbnail portrait yeah. of this thing. And where the other ones you can kind of look at and go like, "Ha, ah, well, that's crazy. She doesn't speak English and he doesn't do this. And she's a, you know, she's his, brings tea and he's the prime minister. But this one is the one that, the actors are just fantastic, and you look and I, and I leave and I'm fru- I am decidedly frustrated by the ending of that because yeah. I, I want to know and and tell me he slept with her but well, I think it's Richard Curtis saying I don't want to make him a bad guy I think he's protecting I think he's protecting Alan Rickman slightly and and by protecting him he's protecting himself like he's not making he's not a villain. He, he yeah. could also be, you know, it's like, and that sucks because.
2: And it's not like he's hitting on her. She's sitting in front of him with her legs open. What's the right. guy supposed to do? She's like, she's
3: literally dressed as the devil. Literally dressed as the devil. Like, what is the guy supposed show to do? Show me how he's unhappy. And he's like, show me that like she brings. Yeah. Some, like, it's, there's enough stuff that's I mean, not no. answered there that makes it very, I don't know. But, it just makes it but, frustrating.
2: But do you know what he does instead, which I think makes it even weirder, is in this whole movie, he makes Emma Thompson wear a fat suit. Like he doesn't what? actually explain what happens to her character or why she and her husband aren't getting longer, even if her husband falls out of love with her or if he's just like thinking with his boner for like a week. He doesn't get into that, but he made her wear a fat suit for this as though if she looked a little bit chubbier, anything that happens to her is maybe understandable. And that's really screwed up.
3: Yeah. Like, why
2: does she have to be chubby for her husband to have sex with a nurse, like, to have sex with his secretary? I mean, that makes it even more disturbing. in a devil's... I know. It's screwed up. I mean, the only sign we have of how she feels is through looks, because that's, I guess, what he cares about most of all. When she's at the airport at the end, she has a new haircut. So maybe that means she's becoming a new person. Maybe to this movie, it means like, well, she's going to diet now and maybe fight to get her husband back. I don't know what the new haircut means, but he made her wear a fat suit. Women, if you lose weight, you'll get your man. Your
3: man will not cheat on you if you lose some weight. Stay trim. I mean, it's such a again, it's such a base level. And I think this is what we're really responding to, like a base version of love. Like love is all about like a body and not a relationship. And I think what makes it again, I, I don't mean to repeat myself, but we don't See anything that makes their relationship even like? Oh, they're not getting along. Like, oh, all we see is like he doesn't really like Joni Mitchell, or like it's like he's a grump, but she doesn't seem to be grumpy either. Like, there's something I would buy into if she's a grump to him, he's a grump to her, and then is like flirting. So it's like she doesn't do any. I mean, not that you have to do anything wrong, but like. There's just nothing there to hold on to. And maybe because of the power of the actors, you want that. And I was equally mad when I watched the the sequel of the movie to, f- you know, to see that she wasn't there. I I appreciate why she did that. Uh, and I think it was good because I think it may have actually diluted some of the gravitas of that. But right. anyway, because,
2: because the ending you want to see is her sort of like leaving him and maybe being like Colin Firth's next wife or something like that, you know, <laughs> Like when Colin Firth is ready to have a conversation with someone. Um, But no, but you can't do that without seeming like flip into the memory of Alan Rickman. I know. His character kind of deserves it.
3: I also just want to now circle to one more serious moment and Laura Linney, because what are we trying to say there? She's taking care of her brother who is in an institution. That's what we find out. And in the sequel, we'll get into that in a second. But the brother's in, in, in an institution and she's always by the phone. And what we're showing is she's delaying her life for taking care of this, her brother, right? It's like she feels this tremendous guilt. And I think that there's that's something so relatable to so many people who have, uh, you know, family members that they have to care for. And I love that. It's such a dire outcome for her in the movie. Like you said, the guy that she likes just kind of walks off. And yeah, and all of this time he's
2: never known. And it seems like kind of a fixable thing. Like she could be like, I'm sorry I had to answer the phone for my brother, but I I also like you. And he could be like, I'm a human being who understands that you have other people in your life, I am a grown-up who can talk to you about this and we can work through it. Like,
3: well it shouldn't
2: you, be a deal killer if we're supposed to root for them in the first place. But the well, fact to, that he walks yes. away, you're like, well, then obviously that's a shitty match.
3: Well, and I'll say this. I think the movie also makes, this is where the movie makes these weird choices. It's so much more interesting if the brother lives in the house with her, right? Yeah. If she really has to take care of him because that phone call that he's making to her late at night after the Christmas party, like, he's in a hospital. Like, granted, like, I don't know what the rules are there, but he's making a late night phone call. There are people there to take care of him. So what he's saying in a way is she, she's at fault. She is not only taking care of him, but she doesn't know when to stop taking care of him. And I think a lot of people that I talk to who are taking care of a, a sick relative or a family member, they're often in the same space. Like this person's in a place where he is being cared for, so by her picking up the phone, this is before we know all this. By her picking up the phone twice, three times, it's her fault, right? It's like where if they lived in the house together, she couldn't be able to separate herself. Like, and there, there is a the story there. Like sometimes she's got to learn, and this is something that I've, I've seen firsthand. I can't take care of this anymore by myself. I need help. She's got the help and she's still delaying her life. So that to me is also a very mixed message. Not to say that you have to abandon anyone who's there, but in that moment, she's the problem. It's not the brother. The brother is fine. He's safe. You know, he's, he, you know, may maybe having a freak out, but he's surrounded by doctors and people taking care of him. Like, and again, not all the time. But in this one moment where she's about to have joy, she seems like, oh, she's she seems that like she's the problem, if that makes sense. And well, I know yeah. what you're saying, too, like the other guy is a piece of shit for that. But it is an odd thing. Like, what are we saying there?
2: But yet it doesn't feel like the movie is commenting on either of these two
3: things. It feels right. like
2: the movie is just saying, well, that was her one shot of love. And now she doesn't get one. Which Until is- the sequel where she's <laughs>
3: dating Patrick Dempsey
2: good for you. And you the brother's it, not even
3: mentioned and the brother's not even like alluded to.
2: <laughs> well, because you can't have both Like what? <laughs> uh, it's just so crazy. I mean, it's okay, just like, it's a weird
3: mixed message. Yeah.
2: But so talking about all of this, then when did you cry? What are the three points oh, that you cried while rewatching
3: this? Movie? Multiple times, multiple times. Um, I cry at like things that get me, like there are things that get me. Like I, you know, I really did like the relationship between Liam Neeson and his son. That stuff has been getting me a lot lately. You know, as I, I think I'm trying to, like, freeze time with my kids. I just love my time with my kids so much, and I just love... I, I just, you know, seeing the father, like, send the kid through the airport. Like, I know that's insane, but I'm also, like... I love that he's like, we're gonna get in the car, and we're gonna make this work for you. Like, he's trying so hard to to, to do well by his son. I, I think that uh, I cried... During the the funeral montage of the of Richard Curtis's uh girl that he's attracted to, uh, pretty pictures of her. I you know, just like seeing Liam Neeson carry that coffin uh was pretty intense. I I cried during the Joni Mitchell scene. Like, um, I thought that was like so beautifully done and and so gut-wrenching. And, you know, and there's a moment even when I see Laura Lenny with her brother where I'm a softy Amy. I'm like a fucking soft, softy. Like, give me like I you know, it's sweet. I and they, I'm not like bawling. I'm just, but like I get emotionally welled up. I, I can, I definitely can go there. I those moments like get me. Like so, a lot of moments got me. Like, oh yeah, that's a that's a moment. And I've seen it a million times. So it's like, uh, and I and I do I do like when uh, Bill Nighy comes in at the end. Like I, all those all the climaxes like I'm there I'm on, I'm I'm in the emotional edge of my seat I'm not I'm not uh, there and that's why I can say and and talking about Richard Curtis he's a master of what he does I think going back to the analogy I said before it's just a, a magician showing you the same trick but that's slightly different but at, by the time he does it the eighth time Rick like, I see this trick it's like I'm not falling for this a little bit but I think when you watch it the first time or when you watch it this time it, the needle drops the right moment, the, you know, the kiss at the right time, the applause, like, all of a sudden, like, all these things, like, work, you know, it's like a small town all running together. It's like, yes, these are things that like, that resonate with, they, like, almost activate serotonin in my brain. It's like, when I see people say I love you in a public place I'm going to get emotional when I see you know uh when I see you know someone be surprised by someone that they didn't think was going to come back I get it. Like, you know it's like it's it's hitting like these emotional pressure points in my life
2: I want to say that that is incredibly sweet in that I think (laughs) I think you sharing your heart like that is more romantic than anything in this movie oh you're so I think that's beautiful I think that's beautiful I aspire to be as tender-hearted as you
3: I, you know, it just, I just, I like that. I like that stuff. I like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there. And I think that when you look at what, you know, Richard Curtis has done, you know, the Notting Hills, the four weddings and a funeral, the about time, even, you know, Bridget Jones diary uh, yesterday, it, they have created these very strong emotional connections with people. These are movies that have defined the rom-com and they are, and, and they work because of this, you know, and this is, you know, he's, he did it all through the nineties and, you know, into the beginning of the two thousands and then continues like, I haven't seen about time, but I know people who love about time. And, you know, I haven't seen yesterday either, but, The same thing. It's like he knows how to get your heartstrings. And I think there is a mastery there. It's like Steven Spielberg. Like every movie he makes is going to work on some level. It may not be your favorite Steven Spielberg movie, but it's going to work. Like it's like they're that good.
2: Well, that's what I found interesting about like the critical response to Love Actually Mm -hmm. is because I watch this movie now and I'm like, this is the most cynical, mean hearted, like cruel Fat joke, shaming, sexual harassment is great movie, like I've ever seen. Like I find mm-hmm. it just so crass. Like it doesn't deserve to have the word love in its title. But when you go back and read the reviews from that era, almost nobody picked up on that. Like because most you critics like Well yeah, well yeah. Well, most critics liked it. Um, even a lot of the critics I know personally that I think of as kind of like tough skinned bastards, they liked it, which shocked me. I kind of want to like call them up and be like, really? Bro, I'm surprised. Um, but the ones who didn't like it didn't like it because they said it was too sweet and too saccharine. All things that I don't see in this movie at all anymore. Like, but they saw this movie through the lens of Richard Curtis being the master of the heartstrings, knowing that he is good at working the heartstrings, and because of that, like, saw the movie as being like a big candied sugar cookie. When now this movie feels to me like a sour patch kid. And I thought that was really fascinating to see how the culture has shifted so fast, where this movie now feels completely different when you watch it than it did, you know, 18 years ago.
3: But here's what I'll say. Yes and no. This movie is still a classic. This is a movie that people are still watching. And there are so many people out there that don't feel this way. And I think because it's more functional than most, right? I know I'm saying two different things. Like, like this movie, I can... Hate on this movie, and I can also cry with this movie. I can enjoy the performances on this movie, and I can think the character motivations are totally out of whack. And I don't know many films like this. It rom coms, I think, at its at its base level, especially during this time are cynical, right? They're like, my best friend's wedding, my, you know, it's like all these, we have to buy into these big things. It it is about like, like, they're not like the grand romance. They're not like, you know, it's not like Emma. They all kind of have their fingers crossed. I
2: mean, mean, this is why I think like we actually, the romantic comedy did die for a while, is I think we're like building up into the last years before we stopped having them Mm -hmm. for a while. Like in, in 2000, like 12 They didn't release a single romantic comedy at all that year. Oh, wow. There was like this really sudden death of them. Like they'd been huge in the 90s, strong in the early 2000s in this period, and then completely died. I think it is because of what we're seeing in this movie that we didn't know how to be genuine about love. So we made romantic comedies that were increasingly kind of cynical, increasingly like bro and tits focused. And Mm. that wound up killing it because we didn't know how to be sincere anymore. We kept making them and they kept being big hits, but it's like they were dying in plain sight.
3: Can I, yeah, can I also say something? Richard Curtis is an amazing writer of a rom-com, but I do think that rom-coms written by men forward agendas that I think imprint on men and make for complicated relationships, right? Because what, you, what you're what you seeing is a lot of the way that men think relationships work, and it doesn't treat women uh, in a way where they have any, Authority over themselves or that they could like or dislike. They're all there to be wooed or to be like bedded, right? And and there is something about like, and I I know that he has created amazing characters. I'm not not, this is not a a slam on him, but I I do think that a movie that is this wide in scope does miss a female voice. It it does miss a yin and a yang uh, on some level, you know, and I think to me. That is why we have like some of these things where where people like want to be Lloyd Dobler. People want to be like the British guy who goes to America because they see it in a movie and then they want to like kind of or they think it's okay to be like Andrew Lincoln with the signs out front. Right. Like it's like it kind of validates creepo behavior.
2: I am so glad you brought this up because we have a living example that I need to play. One of the biggest fans of Love Actually was a longtime news anchor on Harbaugh, Chris Matthews. Here is him, a montage of him, talking about his love of the film.
5: NBC News Chief White House Correspondent Chuck Todd, who's in London with the president. But first, here's a clip from the great movie Love Actually. It's been brought to the fore so many beautiful times in movies, my favorite being Love Actually. I'm going to show a clip from that. Well, we still remember this scene, and we'll play it again probably tonight again from uh, Love Actually. Like in that great, memorable scene from Love Actually. Did you see the very popular movie Love Actually? I did. I see him every time I rewatch that incredible movie, Love Actually. I think everybody on the planet fell in love with that guy, Colin Firth, in Love Actually. One of my favorite movies, Love Actually. My favorite movie, Love Actually. Love Actually. Love Actually. And that reminded me of this scene from the movie Love Actually, which I've seen about a million times. Now,
2: perhaps this idea that Chris Matthews loves Love Actually, a movie with a lot of sexual harassment at the office in it. Perked up your ears because you might remember that he eventually had to leave Hardball for doing exactly this. This is Chris Matthews recently on The View.
5: Well, uh, the lesson is you're not supposed to uh, comment about a, a person's appearance in the workplace, certainly. And I know that rule by heart and certainly now. And I had, uh, I had made a couple of comments that they, what we might, might have called the old days compliments, uh, but are not taken as compliments today by any means. Listen. I don't know Chris Matthews, but
2: I just think that this is a very interesting coincidence. And I will leave that there. One of the two reviews that I picked, the negative reviews that I picked that actually did not like this movie at the time. The movie is still rated fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, by the Mm. way. You know, called out kind of what you're talking about. You know, about like the repetitiveness of even the romances in this film. Uh, This is Christopher Orr in The Atlantic. This is long. I'll try to to trim it as best as I can. the central concern of the movie and subject of, by my count, seven of its storylines is not just romantic love, but romantic love of a particular kind. New love, untested love, infatuated love, love before the first I love you and before the first kiss. In recent years, a central ingredient, ingredient of romantic comedy, the obstacle that must be overcome for the lovers to be together, has gotten more conspicuously difficult to come by. You know, the classic impediments, parental disapproval, difference in social class, have largely fallen away in real life, forcing filmmakers to invent new, sometimes ridiculous hurdles, like one of the lovers lives in Seattle and the other in Baltimore. Love actually pioneers an alternative approach, the revolutionary idea that there really are no obstacles. The primary hindrance to romantic fulfillment is merely the fear of declaring one's love. As soon as the characters in the film find the courage to say I love you, their romantic journeys are essentially over, and they go straight to the happily ever afters. The idea that there could be any consequences or complications associated with, say, the Prime Minister of England shacking up with a domestic staffer half his age, or a cosmopolitan English writer wedding a provincial Portuguese domestic girl with whom he has not shared a common word of common language, are of no concern. If saying "I love you" won't do the trick, which he points out is is the case in the Lenny subplot and the Thompson sun plot, the film tells us, then you should probably just drop the whole thing. This sentiment, it seems to me, comes very close to representing the end of romance. The tagline for Love actually is quote the ultimate romantic comedy," perhaps, but not in the sense the producers intended. I thought that was so smart that there's nothing yeah. in here about working through love at all. You know. And then A.O. Scott from the New York Times wrote a review that I just love because he was the only person who I think actually called out the film's uncomfortable sexual politics at the time at a major outlet. Weirdly. Weirdly, it did not get brought up. And he called it out with a lot of flair. He called Love Actually, quote, "...an indigestible Christmas pudding from the British whimsy factory." It's super sweet, chipper demeanor masks, a sour cynicism about human emotions that is all the more sleazy for remaining unacknowledged. It has the calloused, leering soul of an early 60s rat pack comedy, but without the suave, seductive bravado. The worst kind of cad is the one who thinks he's really a sensitive guy deep down.
3: I like that. And, you know, we're going to be talking to somebody who, in many ways, opened this debate up 10 years later. Lindy West wrote an essay called Shit Actually. And Shit Actually is Lindy looking at this movie 10 years later and and kind of dissecting it. And I think she started this reevaluation of this movie, right? Like, yes, most critics loved it in the time, but she went back and revisited it. And I think she gave us all a different perspective. I love this essay. And we thought it would actually be really fun to bring her on the show. And chat with her about not the movie, but the essay and how the essay kind of brought into her life uh, some pretty angry fans and 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 really how she dealt with all of that. Uh, you know, Lindy uh, obviously is the writer of Shrill and, uh, and many other books like uh, Shit Actually, which is a compilation of all of her movie reviews. And The Witches Are Coming, they're all great books and we're so excited to have her here. Uh, please welcome Lindy West.
2: Lindy, welcome to this episode talking about Love Actually, in which, can I say, you were the first person to play the Grinch. Congratulations on being (laughs) the Love Actually Grinch, the person who wrote the essay that said, what is wrong with this movie? Why do we hold up this movie as like the ultimate romantic Christmas movie? And in so doing, I really believe your piece was a tipping point where that movie went from treasured classic... Beloved guilty pleasure to what is wrong with all of us? Were we in a fugue state? What happened? Your words have power. I'm, I am, you in were awe.
3: like the matrix. You gave us the <laughs> pill, you woke us up and brought us into a whole new world.
0: Yeah, a world with like a little bit less happiness for people, <laughs> a little bit less joy just made it a little shittier Uh took away the <laughs> one thing that made people happy once a year. So that was cool of
3: me. <laughs> There's a lot of Christmas movies out there. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we really wanted to talk to you about this essay. And if you have not read the essay, you, please read it. Um, but the like to me and, and, and to Amy, like being this person who, you know, comes out with this strong point of view on a classic and it, And yes, there's always these hot takes. Citizen Kane is actually pretty shitty. And no one cares because it like be like, okay, sure. But this resonated like it was like the you lifted a curtain and everyone was like, oh, yeah. Like and that to me is really interesting.
2: Yeah. I mean, like critic to critic. I want to know when that moment came where you're like, I have to write about this. I have to get this
5: out.
0: Okay, well, it's like a combination of things, you know. I, um, I was working at Jezebel at the time, where it's just like a content factory. So every day they're like, feed the blog, feed the blog. You got to write ten posts today, or you know, whatever. We'll assassinate you. And so part of it was just like sheer desperation. Like you're like, it was sort of trendy. I think it was just right around when this was starting, and now people do this all the time. It was like. Oh, uh what happened ten years ago today? What we should revisit it. Like it was literally like, okay, um I think I had I, I had like a tab open always that was like movies that came out ten years ago today, and then I so I feel like it came uh not out of some kind of artistry, but out of like horrible um capitalism. You know, I just <laughs> I had to I had to create content. You know. <laughs> much like the movie itself I might say <laughs> totally, totally um and then also I'm like a lazy critic like I it's so much easier to be funny if you're being mean and so especially at that time in my life I was like you know it was probably 10 years ago or something so I was like in my 20s still which right. was pretty cool yeah. um and so I think you know but I I, I would give myself i a little credit. Like I feel like I went in with an open heart and I was like, let's see what this is. And I was not one of the people who was like obsessed with love actually. But I didn't have negative feelings about it. I was kinda like I think I would seen it once and I was like, Yeah, it's fine. It's a rom-com. And then I right. and then I sat down and I watched it. And it and it really feels like so hollow and so cynical. Especially if you're looking for stuff to make fun of. <laughs> you know, you're just like <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's anything here. And it's also the kind of thing that's such a product of early 2000s where I, I, so I've been rewatching, revisiting movies now for my newsletter. And it's like, I don't know, just like as a woman, I'm like, how the fuck did I, did any of us survive this era? It's so gross. I don't
3: no, know. You're right. Like, I think that we've, we've had this like awakening where we've looked back and I think you can look at like, all this stuff that's gone on with Britney Spears in the last couple of months. And you're like, oh, wait, that's really fucked up. And then, and everything starts, we were talking about this when we were talking about Promising Young Woman uh, last year. It's like, we've just started to look at the things that were just accepted and normal with, and maybe it's the distance of time at this point. I don't know. And maybe that's what we need. Like in the early 2000s, maybe it was like, oh, in that moment, like you can get away with this. You can kind of steal away like, schmaltzy bullshit but i feel like now um i don't know i find it interesting to go back and be like oh i'm gonna watch the pam uh, the pammy and tommy sex tape and be and have a totally different opinion about it now i'm gonna be like wait a second that isn't like (laughs) that that was wrong they stole (laughs) private property (laughs) but like but in the moment i'm like ha, yeah fuck (laughs) like like it's a very weird thing like it's a mob mentality (laughs) yeah like fuck her for having sex gross yeah they kept it locked up in a safe their fault their fault for keeping it locked in a safe in their house assholes like it's like totally. no that they did the right thing
0: i know and i feel like at the time probably and maybe people still feel this way like love actually is like kind of progressive in that regard where like the, the women like pretend to have personalities and lot you know real lives <laughs> and death and they don't and neither do the men but like like i don't know i just watched um the mask last week right. um and it's like cameron diaz is just nothing and then and she like has to fall in love with the mask <laughs> which is like, <laughs> like a complete i mean it's like a ghoul um doing yeah there's
3: no personality the that yeah
2: once you make it past your 30th year on this planet you realize that you're becoming a time traveler of like the era in which you are alive. And you're like almost get to revisit the era that you like lived through and realize how much time has changed. I don't know. It makes me feel like I'm some sort of sci-fi person to like know that I lived through the love actually years and yet somehow didn't experience them in the same way.
0: Yeah. it makes me really sad. I don't know. Like
3: I, yeah, I think there's something though about movies that make you feel something that make you forget all logic and maybe it's why there's so many bad relationships because maybe one great date or you know a a good kiss will make you forget that this person's an asshole right cuz it's like when you when you break it down and i i remember reading that essay and like i was stopping the essay in the middle of it to read it to uh, to my wife out loud i was like i need you to hear this part cuz it was a it's all there. It's not hidden. It's not like you took a meta meaning of it. It's like this happened in the movie, and you go, "Oh wait, yeah." And that to me is the thing that is so crazy. It's not like oh they underwrote it. No, it's right there. They are they are showing you like yeah, just embrace it. like you are going to be shitty or you are shitty, and the, and just embrace like you know. Uh, I don't know. It's just a funny way of how we just buy into these worlds so easily.
0: Right, and it's like I don't. I feel like the. The whole vibe of Love Actually is like, oh, isn't life complicated? I, you know, like as though sort of, I don't know, your husband, like you, you're you're Emma Thompson, and you get old and repulsive, and then your
3: husband leaves you, and then that's your story. Like you're just right. That's it. I said it to Amy, uh, like there's something, there's a line right in the beginning that stuck out to me where they're talking about love and does love exist. And the line that they say is akin to when September 11th happened. Those phone calls were about sharing love and not revenge. And, you, and, and when you watch it, like, the first time, I'm like, yeah, those were, it's like, those people were fucking dying in, like, a plane, like, that, like, that's what you're hearing. Like, that has nothing to do with, like, is love dead? Like, that's, like, but you you combine two images, like, people dying in 9-11 and then go, yeah, they were thinking about love in their last moments, like, because they're dying. Like, it's not, like, it's not a one-to-one, but when you hear it, you're like, yeah, yeah, we are good like that.
2: Also, we don't even know if that's true, to be honest. I'll just say it. Like, personally, I would probably be really freaked out and scared and angry and a lot of things. And I would like to think that I would be calling my loved ones. But I don't know that for sure. The best version of me might. There might be a version of me that's just
0: like rocking back and forth. I have no idea. Sorry. Also, if we, so sorry if to we, make it dark, but yes. No, if we zoom out and we recontextualize that like what has the the macro legacy of 9-11 been like has it been love or vengeance (laughs) and death (laughs) I haven't really thought this through it's just occurring to me right now but like there's this way that love actually just so deeply crystallizes the 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 our self mythologizing you know like it's just the anger that I got over that like dumb fucking blog post who cares but like people i'm like shattering something for people that is and it's complicated because it's not like i think that everything should be serious and no one should just like have an escapist nice time um but i just think there's a balance where you you can have escapism and you can be self-critical and you can think about the world around you and the implications of the Media that you consume, but people were like so personally angry at me. For I don't know, like, did I actually take it from you? Like, if you disagree with me, then well, like,
3: this how? is the whole issue yeah. with Ghostbusters. It's like you put all women in Ghostbusters, you've wrecked my childhood. How the movie that you love is still complete in every way, like, there's nothing that will change the thing that you grew up with, Star Wars. The same thing, it's like, but it's like it's interesting to see that fan culture with a rom-com, because we're used to seeing it with, give me the Snyder Cut. Don't, give me the Star Wars re-releases the way that I want them. But we don't really often see it in that side. So I imagine, like, the anger that you're getting. I once made fun of a cover of a romance novel, and the amount of anger that I got, and it was very, I mean, it wasn't even a great joke. I just... I think I just took a picture of, of the cover and said book club is starting early this year. Like that was it. And it opened my eyes up to an amazing grouping of uh of people out there and romance novels. And I I, I read one uh two and actually read two, but it was but it's amazing though when you when you hit a nerve and you feel like people are coming after you for something that is well, like you said, ultimately a kind of just my take, my benign take on something that I didn't that's how I thought. Yeah. How did you deal yeah. with it?
0: People, people act like I infiltrated the Amazon headquarters, like I'm on alias or something. And I destroyed the <laughs> digital master of, you know, like, I don't know, like you can just still have it. It's just still there. But I mean, I, I, it's, it's weird. Cause I'm torn, especially as I get older and like, it is kind of mean to make people feel stupid for liking a thing that they like. And I, and so, I get it, and I and I also think it's boring um, to just be that kind of contrarian person who
3: mm-hmm.
0: doesn't. La- I mean, you like you said earlier, like who who has these takes that are like, actually, this is bad. I don't really Sorry. have much interest in being that, even though I've sort of built a career on being that. Um, but I don't know. I guess with Love Actually, I do feel like there is some stuff in it that's so just culturally and socially toxic that I think I can sort of justify it to myself, um, the, the shitting on it. But, um, but yeah, people take it really personally. And I think it, I think it just feels like like someone made you feel stupid for something that was important to you. Well, and you must.
2: Yeah. Well, you, you must have, and this is what I'm curious about, like you, Lindy, because of being at the center of this firestorm, you've probably co- communicated or been communicated at by more passionate Love Actually fans than probably anybody on the planet. So I feel like you in particular have maybe some sort of insight into why people like it so much. Yeah,
0: like people think it's nice. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it's it's just like it 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 feels to me like it's a uh, the you know kind of like middle American nice people who like a nice thing who don't want to think too hard about politics or gender or you know the the complicated stuff because life's really scary and hard and sometimes you just want like a hot person in a nice romance and also maybe i think to a lot of people it still does sort of read because you were conditioned this way to like it reads as romantic to have your husband's best friend like hold up
3: a, a creepy yeah. sign <laughs> like, well, oh yeah well fuck you like well <sighs> I, I think what you're saying is like, I mean, well, there's a couple of things. I want to just address the fact that I don't consider you a mean writer. I consider you a very smart writer. And there's a way that you could have written that. And it could have just been like, and I've read a lot of those versions of like, it sucks. This is dumb. What you did was single handedly, like just like almost flip over every single plate on the table and this and that. And it's like, and again, it's all right there. It was a very astute, like, I think all your writing is like that, uh, which I love. But there's something interesting, and I want to see if we're like dancing around the same idea. Like when you reveal how something is wrong, sexist or just stupid, and people can't then not unsee it right? Because it's sort of like, and that I think is probably the bigger issue for some people, because it's like, on some level, they agree with you. It's not just, it's bad, it's dumb, I hate this. It's like, it's dumb because of X, Y, and Z, and you never realize this character was just simply like a figurehead and had no personality. And it's like, regardless if you agree with it, you see it, you can't unsee it now. It's like those weird pictures, if you look at it one way, it's like Lincoln's face, and the other way, it's like <laughs> a, a lady in a bikini. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you you. Like, <laughs> (laughs) You know, it's like, uh, but like, and I think that's my
2: Christmas present for you, Paul. I can't believe you just described it.
0: (laughs) Why isn't Lincoln in the bikini? Yeah, Yeah, man. Hey, that's
2: my hot take. (laughs) Um, No, I I know, totally.
0: And, and I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not a therapist, but I I think everything's so scary and bad. And people spend a lot of time trying not to see that stuff you know because it's
3: did you have to make amends to anybody no <laughs> okay
2: <laughs> okay but have you have you ever run into anybody from the movie who's like brought it up
0: no no god i never even thought about that happening so i mean there's so many people it. in that movie yes <laughs> i mean some of them are dead you... <laughs> oh did you kill them <laughs> no. no i would never well, like, kill you're... alan rickman oh my god that was no, um, a lot less convincing than your last two knows um <laughs> no god who who might i run into i mean luckily there are a mean, lot of them it's... are british i'm not over there um i'm, I'm staying away and no at least but they i keep mean... hearing those
2: like here's what the cast of 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 love actually looks like now all grown up so you will always be able to see that little boy coming since they keep posting his picture on every
0: instagram story <laughs>
3: oh god um Um,
0: yeah i mean no i i i mean okay so i never thought that i would working as a like film critic and i don't really (laughs) wouldn't really consider myself one but uh when i was like 23 so and i was just like i don't know and i was so mean i was so mean when i was a kid and i never occurred to me that someday i would go to hollywood and it's it's bone chilling. Like, I, I'm i just like, and not that any movie star would ever go back and read my archive from the weekly newspaper in Seattle from 2005. But I don't know what if someday Sarah Jessica Parker Googles her name and my name.
3: I'm dead. Look, there there are moments in this life. I mean, I've been doing this show. How did this get made for a very long time? And, uh, you know, and there was a moment I and they, it always gets me. Like a like a slap in the face, like I don't realize it's gonna happen, and a lot of the times someone will come up to me it's it's not the Sarah Jessica Parker. it's the like some people on the side, like, you know, I worked on that movie, I'm like, oh, great, that's amazing and and a lot of the times people will say. I I agree with you. Or I saw that as you know, because it's an awkward moment if they if they don't, because you're going to have to throw down. Uh, but I don't think anybody wants that. Um, but it is it's interesting. But it's but we all are. You can't like everything. The reason why you work in TV, the reason why you are a best selling author, and you've had your work adapted, and you continue to to have this long career is because you have an opinion. And I think that is interesting. And obviously you have a, a bunch of people who agree with you. But it is funny when there are these things that, like, draw an invisible line in our culture. And I think that that's the thing that I'm always, like, trying to, to wrestle with, is, like, what what is sacred? And when you find that, like, you go, like, oh, that's sacred? Like, that movie? Like, that thing? Yeah. And that, to me, is a, yeah.
0: And people frame it to me in this weird, binary way. Like, assuming that, like, as dedicated as they are to loving this movie, I am equally dedicated to hating it. And I'm like, I don't think about it. I don't care. Again, I had to create content that day. (laughs) And I (laughs) did. I'm not like a professional, like, I'm not out here, like, building an anti-love actually movement.
3: Um, Yeah, you're not doing like, uh, you know, take love, you're not having rallies in the middle of uh, stadiums here, you know?
0: (laughs) But you are
2: proving the point that the opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is apathy. Wow. Which I think, I think is really... Right. I mean, apathy, actually. Maybe that's, like, the movie Ooh. we should all make together. Okay.
3: <laughs> I mean, obviously, you, you've you had these... You know, you've had very successful... You've had, you had a very successful career. But has there been anything else like this that got that kind of response? Because, uh, like you said, you're writing up... You're feeding a content machine. I mean, I am...
0: Especially now, I am hyper careful. Like, I... Yeah. To me, as long as I feel secure in what I said, like that it's accurate and that I'm not just I'm not just like dashing off a hot take for the reaction right. or whatever, um, then I feel OK about it. The, the the only thing that really, really hurts is when you fuck something up and then people call you out on it and, and you kind of agree, you know, like, right, as I don't care how many people are mad at me for my opinion if I feel strong in my, like, if I feel valid in my opinion, you know? Um, But so I take a lot of care to, to think real hard. I mean, if there was one big uh, life altering controversy in my career, it's when I (laughs) uh, wrote about rape jokes in like 2014, when that was being talked about. Um, uh, There's just no more toxic fandom than white male comedian, Fans.
3: Yeah, right, sure.
0: And I mean, I think I like still have mental health struggles from like I I feel like tr- to very traumatized from that backlash. Um but I wasn't wrong mm-hmm. and so it was never there was never any like feeling of being deterred or that I was going to uh apologize or that I had like fucked something up. And and that's the only the The only bad feeling is when the only like truly like, cutting deep feeling is when someone you respect says you fucked this up and like you harmed someone, and in that rape joke debate that went on for like years, the the counter argument was always like you're gonna kill comedy if you start to talk about what people should and shouldn't say. I definitely feel like my work is not only a critique of that but also a counter to that. Like I. I'm really careful and I'm really like, you know, uh, I'm conscientious and I don't say harmful, degrading, like oppressive stuff. And my work will um, remain readable, (laughs) you know, longer than people, people who don't, which is all I was ever saying. It's like, you know, you can do whatever you want, but this is going to change. Like this paradigm is going to change and you are going to make yourself obsolete if you don't pay attention and start thinking about what you're saying, I don't know. I mean, and you can find like problematic stuff in my earlier work. And if someone were to dig through my archives and call me out on, on uh, things that I've written, I, I would engage with that and apologize, you know?
3: Um, Yeah. And I think, I think, but also the truth is we're all constantly evolving, hopefully. Right. Like, and if you haven't written anything like that, since 2025, you know, 2020, uh, 2012 or whatever, you know, it's like, and you're, and you're moving, like, hopefully we all are moving forward and everything that, you know, that I've read of yours is it, it is funny. And, and like, we all are like, I'm a better person than I was five years ago. And I'm a better person. Than I was 10 years ago. I'm smarter and more aware. And I think that only comes from just paying attention. If, but if I, I hope that, I think everybody's work, I think, reaches that same or hopefully if you keep on working, I think your work is on that same level because I think you're right. Like it just will stagnate and get stagnant and then it will just kind of peter out.
2: Well, that's what I was thinking when Lindy was talking about, like, her years as like a baby critic who was really mean because I've always kind of thought to myself, like, there's nothing meaner than what is it like baby rattlesnakes and baby critics? Cause like when you're earning your stripes as a baby critic, you're you're vicious, you know, like to try to, you know, say like, here I am, I have strong opinions. Like the very first review I ever wrote that got published, I said something so mean about Nicolas Cage's face that I still feel bad about it all of these years later. But in because of this conversation we're having, I'm starting to think maybe it's not a baby critic thing. Maybe it's just like being alive in the early 2000s and we were really mean. we were watching movies that were like, if they love you, they'll always call you fat. But you won't know because it's in Portuguese. I mean, we've really got messed up messages about what it was nice to be, what it was like to be kind and charming to people,
0: which was just like, be a dick. But I guess people will love you anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure I'm still I still am making a million mistakes and fucking stuff up. And some of my stuff will read poorly in five years. Totally. Um, And I think that process is really important and it surprises me when people don't want to take part in that process you know um which not to like uh sort of contort our way back to love actually but it's sort of like the reluctance to examine something because it feels comfortable is you know is real and intense you know I think people people really want to not have to do that work because it's exhausting and it, and it sucks. And sometimes you just want to watch a Christmas movie with Colin Firth or whatever, but I don't know, I guess like as a fat woman, like part of it is like, not all of us get to just watch this movie. And I mean, this is, this is the bigger conversation that like, when you have only certain people in positions of power, making media, not all of us get to enjoy that media in the same way without erasing a part of ourselves. And it's really sad. And so, yeah, I guess part of me is like, well, the world hasn't always been that nice to me. Maybe I don't have to be that nice to the world. I
2: don't know. Well, then do you think do you think there's a version of love actually that can be saved? Like if we put our brain power power together, could we do a love actually reboot that would actually be like lovable? Yeah,
0: I think the three of us alone could do it. And we should.
3: (laughs) And I think you know what I think is really interesting about that movie is it's I'm a big believer. I love a writer's room. Like I love TV because what you get in TV is a group of creative people together, and if the it's the right writer's room with different points of view, and someone can call you out and go, like, "You know what? That's a little stalkery." Like so, if we were if we were in that room together, and I'm like, "I got a great idea," he shows up to her house and says he loves her, and with these signs, like, "Well, hold on, well, hey, that that is a little little bizarre, right?" Like I'm like, "Well, what do you mean?" And like. Like, there is, and I think sometimes in, in film, like, these bigger ideas, especially in rom-coms, are, are a lot of the times, and, you know, again, I'm maybe making up too bold of a statement, are written with a very male point of view of, like, what relationships should be, and I know that that definitely imprinted on me, like, as as far as, I like, what I thought romance was, and, and like, how I approached girls in high school and stuff like that, and and it's a, a fine line between being romantic and creepy, uh, especially if you don't know whether, and not that, I'm sure, sh- I don't know if I was, a, I don't think I was a creep. I hope I was not a creep. But, like, you know, like, acts of, like, supreme, like, uh, love, you know, like, whatever it is, like Lloyd Dobler with a thing or or the signs, they work in movies. They don't always work everywhere else. But for people who are wanting to fall in love and find the stuff, they might do these things. And I think that that's almost, like, the weirdest uh, not that everything's got to be perfect and or whatever, but it's like, but there is something about how it affects our culture. And if we should look at it like that, like, you know, you can still do a fun romantic comedy without having like some super creepo moments.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the guy that goes to America to find babes and yeah. then like brings them back with him. Like, if you think about, uh, and it's been a while since I've watched it, but like, is there is there a woman in love actually who, Is like I mean there's like Laura Linney sort of sort of goes after a guy, but Yes. I mean not
2: Not really. Like if he didn't ask her to slow
0: dance and then say, Can I come
2: home with you? Even she's so passive. She just like sits there.
3: Yeah. And she's also like set up that like she's only working there because she has this crush. Like it's not like you're good at what you do and you have a crush. It's like you've really only stay in this lane because you have this crush of this person who doesn't even know you exist. And that also is like, Oh, terrible. Like she's not even acted on this thing. That's not, she's not even in a relationship that's holding her back. She's in a crush that's holding her back.
0: Like I, I definitely feel like, you know, I absorbed that passiveness for sure. As like a, you know, teenage girl watching stuff like this, where it's like, okay, my best bet is to like hold a clipboard and wear a pencil skirt and hope that the prime minister notices me you know i guess like which is just nothing it's just nothing it's a nothing life
2: oh my god did you ever read the rules when 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 that was like the book everybody believed in i just like had a flashback okay the thing with the rules and this was the culture of like the early 2000s was like it started with this anecdote where like a girl sees a guy across the room at a party like Laura Linney. You can picture Laura Linney in your head if you want to. And and she goes up to talk to him instead of waiting for him to come up to talk to her. And this book in the, in the preface plays out their whole relationship. They, you know, get together, they date, they move in together, they fall in love. I think they even maybe get engaged and get married. And then at some point, the guy says you know, I don't know if I ever deeply loved you enough to be in this relationship and breaks up with her. And the point of view from the rules is if he had ever liked you, he would have crossed the room. So if you had to cross the room to him, he was not willing to cross the room to you. He never liked you enough from the beginning. That literally was the bestseller in romance
3: at this time. Well, I mean, I read I remember reading the other book, which was like uh how you the game, the game, the rules, mm-hmm. you know, and it, the game was a very like the same thing. It's like create a false reality of who you are and be just interesting and engaging and 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 shit on the person that you like. And if you shit on the person that you like, then they'll be desperate for your attention. And then you can just have them as like I mean, that whole book was like to cultivate, like, fuck buddies. It was like, never meet, never make them upset, but never commit to a relationship either. So you can go back out, and it, it all be, it, it's like this crazy, and look, he lived that life, I'm sure, you know, it's there, but it was like, but people were doing that. Then there's a VH1 reality show where they're taking nerdy guys and bringing them out to go get laid. It's like, it is, these are the wrong things that we're putting out there, but. Uh,
2: Wait, did I ever tell you the story about when mystery maybe hit on me, and I wasn't quite sure what was happening?
3: Oh, wow. Did I ever
2: tell you this story? So one of my friends wrote a book and he like wanted me to come over and like read a draft of this book at his house. And for some reason, Mystery was at his house. And so my friend went upstairs and I went to the backyard to read his like manuscript on a, on a, on a, a chair. And at some point, Mystery, who had not acknowledged me when I came in, was just sort of sitting there in the couch, came out and stood by me by this like lawn chair. He stood so that his crotch was like maybe a foot from my face. And I just kept looking at the manuscript because he was in full velvet and it was summer. And I, I know who he is. And he Ooh. lit a cigarette and he smoked it while looking at me. And I never looked up at him because I just was terrified. And then he finally like put out the cigarette and walked away. And that was my interaction.
3: But you never forgot it.
2: I never forgot. I mean, he made an impression. <laughs> he made an impression. I was like, it was the most aggressive smoking.
3: I love it. Uh, well, let me just talk really briefly about your uh, your Substack. It's called Butt News, and I'm so excited because you are picking some great movies to go. It's a movie club. Every like week or so, there's a uh, a you know a, a new talk uh, talk around or talk about an essay about a movie. Like you said, that you covered the Mask, uh, and they and what I love about the movies that you're picking is they are ones that. I haven't thought about in such a long time but I've really been enjoying reading like uh Save the Last Dance. Um we just did Blair Witch Project and I know you did Blair Witch Project and I oh, think yeah. that was great and and uh Coyote Ugly. Uh oh and Stargate was another one that I thought was so great. Like there is just if you are a fan uh, I, I think you're going to love Butt News, and you should definitely uh, be subscribing to it. And it's just a great way to kind of go back and revisit and have kind of these conversations with these movies. You know, not all this deep, but just a fun way to kind of look back and be like, oh, yeah, right. Like, I remember this being one way, and then you look at it again, you're like, oh, boy. This is this is rough.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been really surprising to me what's what. Like, uh, what you know, what's actually... I didn't know the mask was gonna be so bad. Like I remember I said to my husband uh before we started, I was like, I don't know if we should do this one. I feel like it's gonna be funny. And then like what am right. how am I gonna be funny about it? Like I don't and yeah. he was like, I think you might be wrong. And then it was unbearable. It was like I we did National Treasure a couple weeks before. Yeah. And I was and National Treasure is just like is like so hollow.
3: Just trying to be Indiana Jones and like, yeah, like yeah. <laughs>
0: And I and I said like oh this is the first this is the first butt news movie that I don't think you should watch, and then I watched the mask and I was like, like I would watch National Treasure ten thousand times. Uh, like the the mask is so bad. But um yeah it's I I have a hard time even articulating what the met like how I pick like exactly what what yeah. is the metric because I have a page where people can suggest movies and people will be like oh you should do you know synecdoche yeah. new york or whatever i'm like yeah. no 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 no. i'm not that's not what i'm doing like or people will be like oh you should do um some comedy that came out
3: last year or something or
0: i'm like no it's, it's
3: yes it's like we do specific- that, that this get made it's it's hard it's like a needle that you have to thread and it's like it's gotta be well look there's so many people who are like this movie is so bad. And a lot of times those are like just interesting artistic movies that you may not have liked, but it's not bad and it's not worthy to do on the show. And then there's other times where it's like, well, you didn't get that movie. Like, or that's funny. Or that's like, it's a very, I I don't know how to describe it either. We have a producer on how did this get made? Her name is Averill and she does an amazing job at finding like it's it. Cause I'll send her stuff. I'm like, this one looks good. And she's like, I watch it. It's fine. It's like, and it is, it's like, what is interesting to talk about versus What's yeah. just bad? What's just kind of boring? And like when you find something like National Treasure where it's like, well, this is hollow, but there's enough hollow there. But there's so many things that are just really, really hollow. And it's not it's like, well, yeah, it just sucks. It's like it all, yeah. everything about this is not interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or people will be like, oh, you should do, you know, like Geely or whatever is like the, f- yeah. the famous bad movie. And it's like most of these are things that I watched as a kid. And I don't want them all to be bad. Like, I don't think Stargate is bad. Um, no. Even save the last dance was not that bad. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, it is. It is threading a needle, but I just I, I love doing it. It's so fun. Um,
3: it's so great to to be able to get that, and and uh, I think people will really dig it. And so they should definitely uh, sign up for that and uh, and check that out. And I just thanks. so thankful for you to come here and chat with us about this because we just had a long conversation about love actually, and it just is like this. Essay that you wrote, I can't not think of that movie now without you tied to it in the way of like just it opened my mind to it and and like I said, it you are the Morpheus and not of all romantic comedy. That's the other thing too. It's not like you hate romantic comedy or I hate rom-coms. It's like, no, it just this one is bizarre. And when you really look at it, it is aggressively bizarre. Uh it is, and, right. <laughs>
0: Like, I don't yes. know. Am I right? <laughs> what do you, you
3: think? You are. I, I mean, I told you, I literally was reading, I'm reading the essay. The first time I read it, I was cackling and not wanting to finish. Like, I was like, I I, I felt like I had been I found treasure. I was reading passages out loud, like, because it was just sort of like, I just had never seen it. <laughs> I'd never seen something that I had because I was, I was, I saw it. And I was like, okay, yeah, fine. I like it. It wasn't one of these things that I loved. And then because I felt like culturally we have adopted this movie as like, we love this movie. It's, you know, this is what we do. This is one of those movies. I was like, maybe I missed something. I watched it again. I was like, and I almost felt the peer pressure of it. I was like, now I, I guess I, I really like Love Actually. So then going back to your essay, I was like, oh, that was my disconnect. Like my disconnect was here or on some level. I couldn't articulate it anywhere near uh, as well as you did. Uh, and now like I feel vindicated again, (laughs) but I definitely was in the, (laughs) I love, I, yeah, I was definitely in the, I love, love actually category for some middle years. (laughs) Yeah. I I think I was
0: too. I think I was like, yeah, charming, but especially like from a writing perspective, what do you think they were trying to do? Like, is it just cynical? Like, let's make a movie that'll make a billion dollars or is it, cause like, are the jokes funny? Are there, is there? I just don't... I, it's, it's baffling
2: to me. I um, think they were trying to make a romantic comedy that appealed to men and women equally and mm-hmm. just doubled down so much on the macho humor and forgot all of the romantic comedy parts of it. Does that mean... Yeah. It feels like a romantic comedy it was a shame to be a genuine romantic comedy. So they're like,
3: how can we be cool, man?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I,
3: I also think it's it's like oddly an episode of the love boat you know it's sort of like you are bringing all these people on and you're only existing with them in 90 second to you know maybe a little bit more intervals so if I was to watch one of those stories from beginning to end and without any interruption I might have, s- might have felt differently about this movie, but if I'm seeing 12 stories and not all of them fully intersect, I mean, some of them when they intersect are so kind of wonky. It's like, oh, the waiter is the guy who's going to New York or whatever or Idaho wherever he's going. You know, it's yeah. like, all right, bullshit, bullshit. But it's like, but I do think there is an energy to just seeing shortcuts, and not like Robert Altman style. It's like you're just popping around that, like. Everything is it's like the buffet of movies. It's like yeah. I can't get sick of it. I can't even really I can't even really wrap my head around it because when by the time we get back to Hugh Grant, I've really forgotten where I was emotionally <laughs> there. And then you're just kind of giving me signals and I'm like, oh yeah, 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 right. I I agree. I'm back there. Yeah, yeah. He should like her. Like I'm not looking at it linearly. It's like it's like you're cooking and someone's talking to you and you're paying attention to ingredients and then you're checking back in. And it's like, yeah, 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 we should do that. And I'm like, wait, we should do, we should buy a new car. I'm like, wait, did I just say that? Oh, so yeah, I'm I'm focused over here. It's like it's It's constantly putting you off guard. And I think, you know, you put enough stuff in where it's like dead wife, old love, unrequited love, wanting love, you know, and you put it and it's like it almost just checks every single box. I don't think it's cynical as much as it is here you like it's like eat all the movies at once like you like it's like here's every rom-com like we'll get you you, even if you like four of them you're gonna walk away liking it and at the end we'll fucking sing and it will be great and there's a couple cynical people in here and there's a couple people that are sad and they're probably happy we're all gonna feel great and you and you walk out you know like oh yeah like it's like it just it's too much it's just getting shot like a a machine gun
0: and like the cast is great like you're like oh i saw all my friends i saw my friend liam neeson I'd love to see like this identical script. Like they take the script and then like lifetime makes it like, what, right. does, you know, what does it even feel like to watch without Liam Neeson and Emma Thompson or whatever, you know?
3: Um, You're right I, about that. Like this ce- simply like celebrity is exciting. Like it just yeah. simply being like, I like there's not a single bad actor in there. Some people I think are giving fantastic performances and uh yeah and it's a, and you're just getting touches of them just like they, they're they all gonna score it's like they're all great you yeah. know it's like so yeah You and so you fall so in love like, with those characters and you don't have to even worry about their backstory because even your head you have your own backstory for them yeah, oh yeah it's like it's Hugh right? Grant I
0: don't know yeah sure I know what
3: he is like yeah sure yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but so uh it was so great to talk to you thank you so much for spending this time with us
0: thank you yeah. so much for having me this was so fun
3: Amy, before we started the show, you sent out something. Please tell us uh, what you did here.
2: Yes. I challenged you to join me in taking a quiz called Which Love Actually Character Are You Actually? Okay. Because I want to have this insight into
3: you. And this is from Playbuzz. Uh, so, you know, there's other ones out there, but I took the quiz. It A lot of questions on this quiz. Devin took the quiz. Molly took the quiz. Uh, and I, I'm very curious. I, I'm uh, do you want to go first or shall I?
2: I'll go first, I okay, guess. Right.
3: Who are you? And I'm going to guess, I'm going to guess you are Alan Rickman.
2: <laughs> you think I'm Alan Rickman?
3: I'm thinking the way that you answered the questions, you might be Alan Rickman.
2: You think I'm a I'm a sleazy wife cheating. I would go
3: for a no, groin No, 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 you're Bill Nighy. Horns. You're you're Bill Nighy. Sorry, you're Bill Nighy.
2: That I would take. But no, I am not. I am not the oldest people in the film. I am the youngest person in the film. I am Sam, the naive boy, or as they say, a bright eyed romantic. I am willing to do anything and everything to achieve my dreams, even if that means cloistering myself in my bedroom to learn a brand new skill. Yes, you're a little quieter than those around you, but that's never held you back in life. In fact, almost everyone is in awe of your determination and grit. When you set your mind on something, you always make it happen. And that, my dear, is truly inspirational.
3: Well, Amy, this actually is so eye-opening because I, too, am Sam.
2: <gasps> You're Sam, too?
3: I am Sam, no! too. I oh. am Sam. I am Sam. So we are both Sam. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. I would backflip in an airport with you. There we did. We did it. We, we just did. We just connected for... Two hours on this movie. Uh, Devin, oh, my
2: God, we're both Sam's. Now, now the whole last three years of my life makes more sense.
3: Uh, now, Devin, will you uh, will you kind of continue the trend? Are you also a Sam? Uh,
5: n- Emma Thompson,
3: baby. Oh, <laughs> Emma Thompson. All I am, right. I am Karen. You are without a doubt our favorite Love
0: Actually character. Not only are you reliable, trustworthy, and deliciously no-nonsense, but you're also
3: incredibly funny, too. <laughs> oh, Devin. Very nice. I, I buy it all.
0: And I know exactly why I got that, too. It's because I said I would listen to the Joni Mitchell song.
3: I was thinking that the Joni... it's awesome. Yeah, well, when I saw that Joni Mitchell one, I was like, I think that's going to sway to her. And I had I, a feeling,
5: I, but it was also my actual answer, too. I love yeah. that record.
3: <laughs> Molly, uh, you know, Molly, we don't often hear Molly piping in, but Molly, you you hear all these shows. What What are you?
2: I got uh, Billy Mac. Billy no. no. oh, oh,
3: Mack yeah. wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah.
2: And, you know, nice. yes. Yes, I am. I am 100%
0: Billy Mac.
3: I like it. <laughs> I like it. All right. All right. I like a Billy Mac. You're a good Billy Mac. Um, all right. So this is really interesting. Uh, Josh is not here to reveal his uh, his character, but we should find out and, and tell you in a later episode. Amy, what a great conversation this was. Uh, I love kind of getting into this movie. And will I watch this movie again? Hell yeah.
2: Yeah, me too, honestly.
3: what? A, so, I mean, yeah. come on. What are you going to so do? What does that mean? It's like... There is something about it. It's like there, like you know, we we rag on Michael Bay. Oh, uh, it's a Michael Bay movie. It has blah, blah 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 blah, and yet we keep on going to see Michael Bay movies, but we really don't have that for rom coms in a way. Or maybe rom coms are that too. Um,
2: Some of them are like The Holiday. I love watching The Holiday with a group of great. people and yelling at it. I like romantic comedies. You can yell at because if you want to like watch a movie that you love, maybe that's it. If you love a movie, you don't want to yell at it in with a group of people. But I don't love this movie and therefore I love this movie because I can yell at it with a group of people. So I guess in my own way, I love this movie in the same fucked up way that the people in this movie love each other. I like to (gasps) insult. That is it. I like to insult this movie. I love this movie because I can insult it.
3: Just like that, uh, that African farming uh, couple. You can say that they're ugly and but yet still you love and want to move to Paris with them.
2: Oh my God, that is it. He's actually made a movie that reflects the movie itself.
3: By the way, I'll, I'll say this. I think the reason why this movie is successful, uh, to just kind of put a fine point on it, is it's The Bachelor. You get to sit there and watch all these different relationships kind of play out, and you're like, oh, I like that one. You get to sit there and judge. It has a reality TV element to it in the sense of you root for people, you you yell at, like, I mean, that's what we do when we watch The Bachelor. We, the general we, the, you know. Like that reality show, Fuckboy Island, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, Fuckboy is, Island
2: is great. Fuckboy Island
3: is better I know than it's Bachelor. great. Uh, okay. Yeah, it, uh, but... The best season of The Bachelor. And because, you know, again, uh, anyway, yes, those shows are great. But I think that that's, there's an element to that. Like, where you, it's sometimes nice to curl up with your favorite actors and just, like, watch them be great, you know? And uh, and I think that that's uh, really good. So before we get to our final Christmas movie, we are going, just like Lindy gave us the, uh, the different pill to open up our minds to reality, we are going into the Matrix itself. We're going to see, you know what this world is, when we take the red pill next week and revisit The Matrix, I'm so excited for this new film. And as excited as I am for the new film, I don't remember a goddamn thing from any of these three. Like, I remember images, but I don't. So I'm so excited to kind of go back and watch Matrix. It hasn't been a movie that I, like, go back to often. So I'm excited about this.
2: Well, I feel like I've entered the Matrix with my like sudden realization about how I feel about love, actually, and now having to understand the love relationship in love, actually. So I feel like I'm in the right mindset for the Matrix now, man. Bring it on. A piece of me has been broken and is ready to be rebuilt.
3: All right, so take a listen to the trailer as if you need to.
1: you have to see it for yourself
3: all right and you can get uh the matrix wherever you get your movies i mean simply it's easy it's not going to be that hard to find the matrix uh all right people uh we'll see you next time that's all for today's show and remember to rate and review this show Tell people about it. It really, truly helps. A big thank you to our super producer, Josh Richmond, and our audio engineer extraordinaire, Devin Bryant. Thank you guys for making this show sound so amazingly great. And our MVP behind the scenes, Molly Reynolds, for making sure that this show runs on time and that we have our research at hand. I also want to give a shout out to Kim Troxell for her amazing art. And if you want to keep this conversation going, please do so at discord.gg slash Shear. There's an unspooled section there where we have debates and votes and polls. We also have our Facebook group, the Unspooled Podcast Facebook group that is still an amazing place to be. I want to give a huge uh, shout out to everyone in all those forums for keeping these conversations going. And I also want to let you know that you can head on over to tpublic.com to check out our Unspooled merch. That's right, go to tpublic.com slash stores slash Unspooled to see what we got in the store. And that's all. We'll see you next week on Unspooled. (laughs) Yes. <laughs>